Nomura's Big Reveal, a Final Fantasy multiverse. How to hijack a creative project with bad marketing. How to love an experience whilst acknowledging its flaws. And Anakin Skywalker. I'm the well-read mage, and this is MageCast. Today, we're elevating all kinds of conversations, specifically those regarding a game that seems to have suffered a mixed reception and is therefore somewhat difficult to discuss. That game is Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin, a game of highs and lows, grays and bizarre tonality, with combat that slaps harder than the Oscars, but a story that could never win one. If you're a longtime listener, you'll know that context is as important as critique on this show, and so you'll find we unpack ideas like the golden age of Final Fantasy and the future of the series. With me is the host and producer of Nerds Without Pants podcast, Julian Titus, a man with a firm grasp on Final Fantasy past, present, and yet to come. Regardless of how we suss out the details on this episode, you can rest assured that I did it my way. MageCast is the podcast for the lonely, for those who miss the simple pleasure of a shared dialogue. MageCast is the podcast for conversationalists in a world where we've already stopped listening to each other. As ever, you can help support MageCast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the pixels, where episodes are offered in early access before going live for the public. You can also learn more at thepixels.com, that's the-pixels.com, or find me on Twitter and Twitch at the Well Red Mage. Now, let's start the show. Must kill chaos. Is there any other way to open this episode of MageCast other than with referencing how much we just need to kill chaos on this show? Here with me to handle one chaotic conversation is julian from nerds without pants podcast my friend thanks for being here with us and uh you know a bit of a a change up had to happen rearranging schedules and that sort of thing so i appreciate you being here i appreciate you stepping up and uh, and being my guest on this episode thanks it was so difficult to not interrupt you and just talk about chaos because that is i just i just (laughs) want to hear about chaos chaos i you know and when i announced this i was ready i was ready you know when i announced this this topic uh for this episode and people just reply with chaos gifts Mm -hmm. it's uh it's become a a meme of a game which is one way to market i guess incidentally uh which we'll talk about eventually but julian so that you know we get a bit more of a sense of who you are uh, maybe tell us a bit more about yourself. It's your first time on this show, yes. which I'm excited about. As am I. Um, yeah, yeah, man. Tell us some more about yourself, some more about your show. Yeah. So uh, I host the Nerds Without Pants uh, video game podcast uh, hosted at pixelbit.com. And we are celebrating 10 years this July. Um, I, li- wow. I like to say that it's the longest running, most expensive hobbyist podcasts in the world because there's no reason for it to have gone this long and for me to have spent this much money on a show that does not make any money. Um, it's just done for the love of video games and the love of podcasting. Uh, I'm 42. I've been playing video games since I was five and I have never stopped. Like I, you know, a lot of people, you know, around my age always have like that, that one generation or that period of years where they just weren't playing anything. And I've, I've never Mm -hmm. done that. Like this has always been like my primary hobby. Um, and I'm, I consider myself a bit of a historian and just a, you know, really passionate 
um, devourer of the entire medium. Uh, I, you know, I used to, I was a big magazine fan and I used to want to write for games for a while. And I used, I did write, I mean, I used to be an active um, reviews writer for Pixelbit um, before we kind of all, life happened to all of the editors and staff and we just kind of stopped. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we have a couple people who contribute uh, articles to the podcast, but really, or to the show, but it's really a, a Nerds Without Pants is kind of the big thing that that is on Pixelbit these days. But uh, yeah, I just, I just really love video games. I really love talking about video games and I really enjoy the discourse on Magecast and I'm looking forward to talking to you about this really weird game. well first of all i congratulations on 10 years that's not that's nothing to sniff at folks thank you i've i've seen podcasts come and go and just magecast has been off and on i've not done it consistently for the past two three years but uh it's hard i mean producing a podcast is work yes Uh, it takes time and 10 years yeah that is that is absolutely an impressive number double digits uh, why no pants? Nerds without pants. <laughs> so, Nerds without pants is a- it actually spun out of the original Pixel Bit podcast, which was called Pixel Talk. And at the time, my host Rob O'Tone, who is now a pretty successful horror writer, uh, and Patrick, um, we were you know we were doing Skype. We were doing the whole Skype thing like way before like it became like the big thing since the pandemic started. So, one of the jokes was that are you wearing pants? Because, you know, we're, we're just sitting at home in the evening recording this show. And so Rob would ask, like, are you wearing pants? Like, no, I'm not wearing pants. Um, <laughs> and so, and, and at one point Patrick said, like, I'm wearing, I'm wearing um, shorts and those aren't pants. And then when we got the option to have our own show, like we kind of just came together and we're like, it needs to be, we, it was going to be geeks without pants. Um, but then, and then Patrick was like, no, it should be nerds. Cause nerds is like kind of more highbrow. And then Rob was like, <laughs> it's more highbrow. And also we can do NWP as the abbreviation. And that's really close to NWO. And I was like, sold. Okay. <laughs> so the, that, that, that's nice. the joke behind the title. I, I think it's, pro- it's probably held us back in a lot of ways. Like there's definitely times when I've tried to get guests on where I can feel the judgment <laughs> regarding the name. It's like, no, 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 it's just, it's just a dumb joke. Like we're cool. It's fine. It, oh, okay. You don't. You don't have to take off your pants when you come on the show. That's not really, that's not the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, yeah. The distinction between geek and nerd. I feel like geek is still in that place of like, ha geek. Whereas mm-hmm. nerds are like, Oh, I like star Wars. I'm such a nerd. It's like everybody likes star Wars now. So yes, no, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's great. I, I can picture the guests uh, that you may have kind of being like, yeah, the 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 two <laughs> most demoralizing things were when uh, Patrick got a greeting from Felicia Day for the podcast, and I got one from Warren Spector. Um, Felicia Day looked like actively uncomfortable saying it, um, and then Warren Spector just seemed very confused. He was like, "You're listening to nerds without pants." <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Amazing. Well, folks, you definitely need to check that out. Uh, Obviously, you get the gist here that uh, that Julian loves games. Uh, He's been talking about it for a long time. I can't think of another podcast um, that's been going for for 10 years. So definitely check that out. There's going to be links in the description. It's time to kill chaos. Magecast episode 76 entitled Ted Sephiroth. (laughs) Uh, sh- <laughs> Thanks for that one, ABXY. 
We're talking about Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. What a title. I've been saying Strangers of Paradise Final mm-hmm. Fantasy Origins. Uh, JRPG titles are an acquired taste. I just like it's to developed- call it Final Fantasy Origin. I think that's that should have just been the title, but... Yeah, well, there was a, uh, ooh, didn't they call a PS1 re-release of... That's Final Fantasy that? Origins, because there's two games. Yes. Yeah, oh, what a... <laughs> they just should have called it something else. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it was developed by Team Ninja, published by Square Enix in 2022 for PC, PlayStation, and Xbox systems. Now, kind of as a theme of this conversation and sort of the, I'm going to call it research that I've been attempting to do here and trying to understand how this game has been received, not just by people who bought the game, because that tells you that they have a level of interest in the game and not just by people who bought the game and then reviewed the game, because then that tells you they have even more of an invested interest either in hating it or loving it so much to write a review. Uh, But people who did not buy the game, people who are maybe on the fence about the game, why they chose not to buy the game. Uh, Some people were like, well, Elden Ring exists. And I was like, I I got you. I'm still playing Elden Ring. Uh, But Mistraker here said, I'm still on the fence about whether or not I want to play Stranger of Paradise. And he also remarked that he's counting on Magecast uh, to change his mind. So no pressure, Julian. But, oh, well, uh, Mistraker, I, I am determined in this uh, podcast to make a case of why people should absolutely play this game. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yes. Not to get too <laughs> far ahead of it, but I kind of love it. And I mm. didn't think that I would. Ah, reasons. We'll get into reasons for sure. Uh, Cause I kind of had a similar experience playing the demo. Mm-hmm. I did. Uh, so the demo does exist, folks, if you want to try it. Uh, Winstolf asked, is this the Slipknot one? Why does it exist? Does it have a red mage in it? The most important question, does it have a red mage in it? Of course. Uh, but I thought <laughs> it's so easy to compare Stranger of Paradise to like a band, yes. like a music group for some reason. Be like, uh, People would be like, oh, yeah, that's the Linkin Park Final Fantasy. Oh, it yeah. Just, it lends yeah. itself to that. Well, the funny thing is, is that I... I had not seen because you know when when the when they had that first reveal of that cutscene where Jack says BS and then turns on his the music on his phone, I had not seen like the actual legit version of it because it got memed so immediately, and I was like, I what song actually plays in that cutscene because I've heard like eighteen different things, right? Uh, <laughs> and I, I think it's an original song for the game, but. Okay. It's also the cutscenes are directed in a very bizarre way where it's like he turns on that music, but it fades out almost immediately. So you hear like two seconds of a song and it's like, why why did you why did you cut that scene off like that? That's it's very bizarre, guys, but <laughs> we'll get to it. And and yes, bizarre they're ab- creative there absolutely oh, there absolutely is a red mage in it, and you even have the very stylish red red hat in there um as a piece of gear. Doesn't have Perfect. the feather. It's missing the feather, but what? <laughs> Can't believe it. I'm missing the feather. I don't have a feather in my cap, of course, either. But anyways, uh, that yeah, it, one of many bizarre, bizarre uh, creative choices, I guess you could say. Uh, BT Dubs, folks, spoilers ahead. Every episode of Magecast is a spoilers episode, whether we're talking about Tetris 
or a Final Fantasy game. It doesn't matter. Okay, we're going to talk spoilers. So if you have not played this yet, and this is, I think, you know, we make jokes like, oh, we're talking about River City Ransom from like freaking 1980s spoilers. Uh, but look, this is a brand new game. I don't want you coming at me being like, Mage Cat spoiled the reveal because we're going to talk about the reveal. Okay, Julian has not quite finished the game yet, but he's agreed to discuss what the reveal is. Uh, and I really want to hear he's he says he's got some some theories right yes. on what that might be. OK, yeah. And, and I, I would say that that if you're listening to this episode, maybe you didn't have interest in it, but we start to say because because I do think that there's elements of the story in here that are legit fascinating. Uh, so if you get to a point where you start to think maybe I should play this, then I would recommend like pause the podcast, play the game and then come back, um, because I think that there's going like. I'm looking forward to being spoiled at the very for the very ending part of it, but I've definitely seen some stuff like like I've gotten way more invested in the story of this game than I thought that I would have when they first showed off the trailer at E3 a couple years ago. Yeah, that trailer was rubbish. Oh my! Gosh. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> couple of mage facts here to open. To mark the 35th anniversary of the Final Fantasy series, Square Enix published a Souls-like video game. Uh, of course, Stranger of Paradise has been compared to Souls because everything is compared to Souls. Uh, when I play the demo, there's the whole thing where if you hit up a save point, it respawns all the enemies. I was like, eh, okay, I can see that. Uh, but uh, as the next mage fact here says, the gameplay is similar to or has been compared to Neo and Souls games. Uh First off, this this apparently was meant to mark the 35th anniversary of Final Fantasy. Do you feel that Stranger of Paradise being connected to Final Fantasy 1, do you feel like it it celebrates Final Fantasy or it commemorates it in any sense? It does, but it doesn't go far enough and I think it stems from a general lack of polish and it and it feels like they needed someone higher up from Square Enix, like kind of looking in more often saying, okay, this is cool, but why don't you do this to give it a little bit more oomph? Like, honestly, like I think it needed Naoki Yoshida from the Final Fantasy 14 team to come in and say, okay, but do this instead. Um, okay. I, th- cause I think the idea of like, you know, going back to Final Fantasy one, which is a game that, you know, you really only get, the story at the very end after you've beaten the last boss, it kind of tells you what you actually, what, what was actually going on. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the idea of going back and fleshing that out and giving named protagonists to the characters and stuff is really cool. Uh, this doesn't quite stick that landing. And it's a really mm-hmm. weird way to kick off the 35th anniversary of my favorite video game franchise, but I, I can't not play it. <laughs> I can't not play it. There's a sensibility of that in uh, in in some of the comments that we get. I can't not play it. You know, it it is interesting to think about. I think when this came out, everybody was like, oh, "Okay, it's just it's just a remake of Final Fantasy One." Yeah, they're they're real bad about marketing remakes that aren't remakes, aren't they? You yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you saw the Chrono Cross marketing recently, right? Where there was a huge, huge confusion over the soundtrack Mm -hmm. for Chrono Cross because they were like, oh, we're using a refined, arranged, remastered version. I was like, what do you mean? And perhaps there's, you know, there's uh, translation issues going on there. But 
uh, we actually had Square Enix themselves contradicting themselves and having to clarify what the heck the music was going to sound like in Chrono Cross. So uh, we hinted at it earlier. I feel like Stranger of Paradise, Chrono Cross, Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, there's been a variety of uh, mismanaged marketing that has impacted how people understand what these games are going to be before they come out which absolutely affects bottom line sales especially you know immediately even the pixel remasters because oh, the yeah. way the way yeah. that they were pitched i was expecting a thing where i would i i was like oh maybe we'll even have it to where you can like switch between like the original pixels and the new pixels but then when 6 came out i was like oh they did a lot to this didn't they like you can't you can't there's no way that you can switch between because it's like a complete there's parts of it that are like completely redone um mm-hmm. and i haven't played them yet i'm waiting for a console release get on it square um but <laughs> but i i it i've had like a lot of like conflicting thoughts about it but then i was I, i've come to the conclusion that it's like well no like there's no way that you can get away with doing the opera scene with like the original 16-bit audio because no one's going to be impressed by that anymore like mm. if unless you were there in 1994 and you're like <gasps> my super Nintendo was singing to me. Like now it's like, yeah, everything sings to me now. Like this sounds like garbage. So, you know, it, it, it makes sense to spruce things up for it, for a more modern audience. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's just a matter of mindset and, and expectation. Right. And that was to be fair towards square. Uh, that was something that they were very candid about that, they, they specifically said they wanted to target a new audience mm-hmm. uh, with the Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters. Uh, I feel like when the Pixel Remasters came out, they were just really bizarrely presented. We got a few tiny official screenshots that really did not serve these games well. They looked really flat. Yeah, They looked very incongruous is, is a word I've been using for the visuals. And there's a lot of that there. But I think they look much better in motion than they do in, you know, again, tiny, like 200 by 200 pixel screenshots. Yeah, because even uh, the trailers were, they seemed like they were actively trying to hide what the game looked like from you. Right. It was very bizarre. Right. <laughs> it certainly was. So, and that's, again, there's, you know, and I, I brought this up recently too, that because uh, I was thinking the other day, games are a commercial products they're commercial art it's not enough to say that video games are art forms which they are but that's that's not the whole picture and i feel like a lot of people try to frame video people on the side of games are art try to frame video games as pure creative products but these products have to pass through marketing boards and all sorts of business processes before they're put out on the market and that can affect all number of things uh and so by the time you get the final product yeah the creative decisions are there but they've been refocused and tweaked to serve the business because at the end of the day these square enix is a business square enix is not just an artist uh and art for art's sake is probably one of the rarest things on on the planet but we've got to have realistic uh, expectations with these things. And I really feel like stranger of paradise has, uh, has, uh, suffered a few things as we'll say later on, uh, in regards to marketing, there's a statement here from Frostmug coming back to gameplay said, I didn't expect the, 
I didn't expect the story to be good because let's be frank, it's a side game. But I genuinely do believe this has one of the best combat systems in any of the other Neo games. So, Julian, we were talking earlier. Neither of us have played Neo. Right. Uh, I, the, my, I'm on my first Souls game right now, Elden Ring. Um, but how would you describe the gameplay in here? Let's talk about the combat for a bit. Cause when I played the demo, I was like, okay, like this, this is, this works. This is fun. Uh, it was maybe the most impressive thing about the game when I played it. Yeah, it is ridiculously fun. Um, and it, and it's, it's kind of its own beast. Um, so I'm not, I'm not well versed in the from games. I've played a little bit of most of them, except for dark souls Two. Enough to, mm-hmm. to, you know, know what they're about. Uh, and it, but, but not enough to have it really be like front and center when I played Stranger Paradise, how different it is from those games. Uh, because there's no stamina bar. Um, and you keep all of your experience and gear that you get when you die. So really the only like mechanical things that are similar is the fact that, like you said, enemies respawn when you go to a save point. And you probably don't want to get surrounded if you can avoid it because um, mm-hmm. you're going to have a bad time because because the, like, the damage values are bonkers where, you know, yeah. <laughs> like like and, and you will get punished very rapidly if you mess up. Um, and I found that it's actually really hard to see what's going on in this game. Yes. Part- I, in the demo, I just like died. I was like, what hit me? Yeah. Part part of that is the poor graphics part of that is the bad level design um and then part of that is that a lot of the enemies are kind of small and so it's it's hard to read their animations uh mm-hmm. especially when you're fighting something like a goblin which is like a final fantasy staple right but when right. you're in front of the goblin you kind of cover it up so it's it's really hard to see when it's you know like they're bigger attacks that it actually has like the name of the attack appear above its head. So at least you have like some sort of other visual cue that it's time to do one of your two different types of blocks, which is also a weird mechanic, but actually one of the coolest parts of the game. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, the, there was actually a part the other night where I used the, uh, the capture um, feature of the PlayStation to literally do a replay. I was like, what killed me? I was killing it. And then it, I just happened to like, I saw that like one enemy did its like big unblockable attack, like as I was coming out of my attack animation. And there was just no way that I would have been able to avoid it. And it was just like a two hit kill and mm. very demoralizing. There's a lot of moments. Yeah, like I that. can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. So I, we were chatting earlier and I think both of us agree. So what, what this reminded me of, um, I don't think it has like the complexity or uh, how do you say it? Well, I'll just have to stick with complexity for the sake Mm -hmm. of this conversation of the, of Elden Ring that I'm playing right now. Elden Ring, I feel like, and it could just be because of the builds that I'm using. I have to be more choosy with, with what I'm doing. Whereas in stranger, I felt like I could just kind of just wail on it. And it feels like that's more of the hack and slashy, uh, maybe Devil May Cry type stuff. Uh, it, this to me felt like a PS2 hack and slash. Yeah, it it, ha- it has more in common with that era of action game. But that that actually brings up a good point for me is that 
bad, I, I, I came up, I ended up with like a lot of bad habits from playing action games of that time that have mm. persisted to this day. And I realized that it's been holding me back from a lot of action games because, you know, old Devil May Cry, old Onimusha, like you could get away with just mashing, right? Like it was just like hit, hit that square button over and over and over and things die. Um, but then games started to come out like Bayonetta um, and like, uh, you know, the Yakuza games and stuff like that, where you actually need to be more mindful of the timing of your button presses and you don't want to mash because it's going to make your moves come out in like in ways you don't want them to. And it's mm. been very difficult to unlearn the that like I, I do tend to want to mash and you can get pretty yeah. far in this game mashing. But the deeper you get into it, and especially once you start to like wrap your mind around the job system, it becomes a very thinky type of game. And it it's awesome. Like once I started, and it's been layers. This this game is the Shrek of video games. It's, it's got layers. You got to <laughs> peel them back. And like the more you peel them back, like it, I've just had so many like mind-blowing moments where it's like, oh, okay. Um, I can I can give an example actually, which is yeah, um, perfect. I, I was stuck on Lich, which is you know one of the elemental um, fiends from Final Fantasy One, and I'd figured out okay, let me use White Mage because White Mage can equip a mace, and that's blunt damage, which is good against skeletons, and also I have Holy Magic, so that's really good against Lich. Um, but I just and I was learning his patterns and stuff, but I was not surviving long enough, and the big problem was that he would break my stance. And that leaves you wide open for damage. And it also reduces your, your maximum magic points, which is crucial. Uh, you want your magic points to be as high as they can be. Um, so then I decided to assign my second job to Pugilist, which is a hand-to-hand. So I've also got, um, you know, blunt damage, but I'm also faster on that one. And I was still getting my butt kicked. But then I, I realized, hold on. If I switch to White Mage and I use um, Divine Seal to like make the next buff last longer, then cast haste, then use blood weapon, which is a move from another job um, that does life on hit that might work. And sure enough, I was just, I was hitting him so fast and like just refilling my health, like every hit, like so quickly he, he could not keep up with me and I annihilated him and it felt so good to figure that out. Uh, and and I, I get to the point where I get into f- situations and I'm like, okay, I need to do this, this, and this. And I execute it and it works and the battle's over. And I have literally said out loud, I love this game. Like I've said that multiple <laughs> times and I did not expect that because I, I did not like the first two demos at all. <laughs> yeah. No, the demo I played on PS4, it was really not impressive. It looked you know, like they're using some PS2 textures for mm. crying out loud. And I'm not one of those people who are like, oh my gosh, my textures, I need my textures. But it's a Final Fantasy gotta, game though. And they right. you know, they they're kind of known for really impressive graphics. <laughs> right. And best foot forward, I mean, if you're gonna play a demo, um, you kind of wanna see, you know, again, best foot forward. Uh then there's, you know, there's cutscenes where you're talking about poorly directed earlier. Um, just kind of blase dialogue, um, blase characters. You've got this, you know, guy in just like an Abercrombie and Fitch shirt. And I'm just oh, like, no, why? No, no more is not even trying anymore. Like, I, like when I when <laughs> I character design <laughs> when I when I saw what they, what their default clothing was, I was like, okay, dude, 
it's time. Just leave Square and go into the fashion industry like you've always wanted and let somebody <laughs> else take the helm because, oh man, what are you even doing anymore? <laughs> He's visually flavored the characters for Final Fantasy for so long. These, I think a lot of people just agreed, don't really look like Final Fantasy characters at all. The question then becomes, what is Final Fantasy? And that's a whole other discussion. Right. What I loved to see is, okay, there's cosmetic armor in this. If you want to sell a game to me, tell me there's cosmetics in it. Same. And I will be like, okay, yeah. I will be all over that. Yeah, that's, I, that's I some of my favorite stuff. Ever since I was a kid and I played Final Fantasy 4, which, which was my first one that I really dug into, um, I would always imagine what my characters looked like because they had so, you know, there were so many things that you could equip to the characters and then as the series went on gear became less and less important till you get up to like final fantasy 10 and there's literally two things that you can equip to a character and i've i've been lobbying for years i'm like they need to make the armor in these games like actually change the look of your characters and mm -hmm. it's weird that it take i mean discount not discounting because i love them but taking aside the online games because of course they're going to have you know visually changing gear that's kind of yeah. a big part of an mmo but right. it's weird that it took this long for even a spinoff to get gear that actually like changes as you progress. And, you know, it, it's a little bit of a bummer that like only about maybe 20% of the gear looks legitimately cool. Uh, but, <laughs> but the stuff that looks legitimately cool looks really cool. Um, yeah. I think my biggest complaint is that at least so far, I have not found any job specific gear. So you don't get those like really iconic high, like, you know, um, uh, silhouettes of the jobs so you know like the dragoon i have not found like that very classic like cane style helmet um you okay. know again like the red mage i haven't found like the actual red mage pimp hat um okay and, and i'm hoping hat. that that i'm hoping it's in there <laughs> at some point but so far you can basically equip any armor on any job and it doesn't you know there's there's, oh, there's things that matter okay. that are that actually matter a lot but the game does a bad job of telling you why it matters mm -hmm. but that's different from the actual, like, you know, you can definitely have a white mage wearing full on plate armor and it's fine. <laughs> hmm. That's interesting. Okay. So, and I didn't know that now, again, I've only played a bit of the demo. What happened is I played the demo and then I was like, I think I'd eventually like to play this full game. So I don't want to play this demo anymore. The mm -hmm. demo really looked unfinished on PS4. Uh, so I'm like, maybe I'll play it on PC eventually. Maybe I'll get a PS five eventually. Mm -hmm. I'll just wait till this goes down in price. It's not a game that I'd really rush to play, but the gameplay seems to be the most impressive and important part of this game. And it has been the least important or least relevant part of any discussion surrounding this game. Evidently. Yeah, almost everybody talking about this game has talked about how stupid the story is, how dumb the characters look, how angry the angry man is uh, and chaos. Yes. And that that seems to be about and it's tied to Final Fantasy one. Um, but I think uh, I don't want to say society. I think that the industry itself at large has a really difficult problem conveying to potential buyers the depths of of gameplay systems when those really appeal to people but it takes some time uh to understand them and i wish that 
I don't think gameplay trailers are enough. I feel like gameplay trailers, like sometimes you'll see like teaser trailers or movie trailers, which is like just a cutscene. I'm like, okay, is this even going to be in the final game? Right. But then there'll be like a gameplay trailer and it doesn't really show you much other than a character swinging a sword around. So I really am waiting with bated breath for somebody to crack the code and figure out how do you meaningfully market gameplay to people i mean everything you just told me not everything but most of what you just told me about your aha moments are like things i hadn't even heard of i didn't know that like you could equip any gear on any job in this Mm -hmm. yeah and and the job system is my favorite since final fantasy tactics because it gives you so much freedom to blend things together because you can equip two jobs and switch Mm -hmm. between them with a button press um, and then you also have command abilities and you have, you can set three of those from different jobs. So you can really start to mix and match. So like I said, it's like you can switch to white mage, do all of the white mage buffs and then switch over to your big damage dealer job and then just go wreck house. Um, wow. And once you start to like figure that out and, and I've all, I've just been watching vi- like YouTube videos of all these crazy builds that people are doing for end game. I think in this case, what would have worked is that they almost should have treated it like a fighting game. Where fighting game marketing is that they will say, okay, here's this deep dive on this character, right? Here's the introduction. Here's their moveset. Here's examples of their combos. They should have Mm -hmm. done that for individual jobs on this game to let people know, A, there's a job system in here, which is always appealing to Final Fantasy fans. Mm -hmm. uh, And B, look at how deep the job system is and how fundamentally different each job plays from one another. Like um, the, when I started playing Marauder, it it has it uses a great axe, obviously, but it's built around like holding down the button to charge these big moves. But you're t- you can take damage while you're doing that. The only benefit is that you don't get knocked out of the animation. And I was thinking, why would I want to do that? Like I'm just getting hit while I'm w- waiting for this big move. But then you start to unlock these buffs and passives that you take less damage, and then you can augment it with command abilities that let you do life on hit or do a regen. And then you charge up this big axe move and you hit it and it does like half of the enemy's hit points and almost breaks it in one move. And it's like, oh, okay, that's useful. Um, And there's other things where you can actually make it to where the charge time is like cut in half and all these other things that you can do. And it, it's really a playground of, you know, how, how can I, what, what can I do to exploit this game? Like, how can I mix and match all of these, these toys and really have the most fun? And that's where definitely the uh, the the strategy seems like it would start to come in uh, to where it would go beyond just the button masher, as you described. Mm-hmm. Uh, another really interesting thing about g- gameplay related uh, is Stranger of Paradise includes dungeons themed after various iconic locations from previous Final Fantasy games. Uh, Terrence Harkin said learning that the dungeons are extracted from pretty much every other numbered FF game has intrigued me because I want to see how that plays into the narrative itself, but not enough to sell me on it. So again, people on the fence with this game, maybe you could tell us a bit more though, uh, having played through it, how these dungeons uh, call back to these previous final fantasies. That was actually the thing from the demo that caused me to buy the game. Because when I got to the second major dungeon, which takes place in Provoca, which is the second major town in Final Fantasy One, if if players remember, like back then, all you did is you fought a bunch of pirates in the middle of the town to get your ship. 
Whereas here you go into this pirate cove and it's, it's a whole dungeon, but the loading screen had like all the loading screens are from, it's called the fool's missive. And, and it's these notes from this unknown character and the notes for the second dungeon says elements and decorations from uh, this area seem to have been taken from dimension 14. And I'm like, that's an interesting number to use. And when I got into <laughs> the dungeon, I was like, oh, right. This is the first dungeon from Final Fantasy 14 straight up. Like all like all of the aesthetics are are taken like whole hog from Satasha. And that was extremely interesting to me. And so that is what got me intrigued where I was like, okay, this is not a remake of Final Fantasy 1. This is something different. Um, and yes, and so every every stage, there's 15 stages and they are all based around a mainline Final Fantasy game. That's really cool. What's not cool is that they don't go far enough. And again, I think it's that lack of polish or that lack of oversight from people at Square where they're like, okay, so here's Mount Gagazette from Final Fantasy X, but it kind of just looks like any old icy mountain except that there's this one hallway where you see like the faith in the wall like you know from final mm -hmm. fantasy 10 like the mm -hmm. the images of the faith and it's like okay that's neat but you i i, I need more and I, and I need these to look right. more distinct like you go to king wraithwall's tomb from final fantasy 12 but kind of just looks like a generic you know indoor dungeon except that there's demon walls that you have to contend with. Um, uh, and also and I had heard that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, even the music isn't that great. Like you'll get these little whispers of the games that the levels are inspired by, but it's like, you might not notice it at all. I didn't even notice it until the one that was based on final fantasy 13. And I was like, that's an okay remix, but like, look at what Soken does on final fantasy 14 and maybe try for that um be a lot more impactful guys <laughs> mm, yeah i feel like polish might be the best word for that mm -hmm. and you picked it right out of there that's perfect as if you think about what are the most iconic or what are some of the most iconic locations from previous final fantasies if you said 12 i probably wouldn't have said the tomb of king wraithwall uh, and I'd heard that there's caves that just look like a regular cave mm -hmm. uh mako reactors fairly recognizable i guess but it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting attempt at nostalgia clout uh narratively what's the what's the reason for that that's that's where i'm still in my theory area oh because, okay because it, okay so so my very first theory and we, we can probably get into it deeper later but my first theory mm -hmm. after playing the demo or the most recent demo was that these are regular people playing a like VR game based on Final Fantasy one, because like when you first fight um, Captain BK uh, in the second dungeon, when he brings his axe out, it kind of like digitally appears in thin air and it's like very pixelated when it comes out. And I was like, that's a very interesting visual choice there. And it makes me think that this is all a simulation. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not quite uh there yet, but, but there's definitely a lot of stuff where it implies that like, this world of Final Fantasy one that you're in has been recreated by someone and they're using elements from all of the other 14 games uh, to inform like these classic areas from Final Fantasy one. It, it's, mm. it's very interesting. And I think there's a lot that they could do with that. I don't think that they quite 
get there. <laughs> mm. I it, it, in a lot of ways it seems like with with uh, Seven Remake too they they want to try and have like a meta sort of thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, I mean, what struck me was the world map. The world map is not at all like the overworld and the original Final Fantasy one where you can, you know, walk around and explore. You've got a very sci-fi, high-tech kind of uh, UI going on. And uh, visually, you know, it looks like it's pulled from a science fiction game, but this is Final Fantasy one's universe. So there is something there, and we'll get to it. <laughs> later on uh but that is that's an interesting theory uh final mage fact here garland does not say i garland will knock you all down um which is a shame it's a we <laughs> bifrost bridge studios is the creative architect behind the gaia's seed graphic novel universe blending artificial intelligence neurodiversity and science fiction Bifrost, a transmedia company, has now turned its focus towards Patreon, looking to beef up its crowdfunding campaign through digital and physical rewards, up to and including original custom retro gaming hardware. Bifrost has been a real boss, supporting and sponsoring the Wednesday giveaways that I do weekly on stream at twitch.tv forward slash thewellreadmage. If you're looking for more of that sweet, sweet gold, Check out patreon.com forward slash Bifrost Bridge Studios. Link in the description. A bit here, though, on just elevating the conversation. So, um, you know, I don't want to go into detail about all the rearranging and rescheduling for this episode, of course. But one of the initial topics that I wanted to cover was elevating the conversation about games. Now, here's where I I feel like people... I don't want to be like, people don't get me. They don't understand me. But here's my perspective that I think is difficult to phrase, uh, is that we've got a podcast here. You've got a podcast as well, Julian. Mm -hmm. A podcast is really a long form format, certainly a longer form format than uh, reading a headline, Uh, certainly (laughs) a longer form format than a tweet. Twitter, social media, even Discord isn't really de- they're not really designed for really in-depth conversations and I know that you've probably had this experience a- a- as well that sometimes you get into a really either heated discussion or profound discussion with somebody on social media and social media is just not equipped to help navigate that discussion in such a way. Like on Twitter, once you start commenting on multiple threads and people start forming these massive uh, threads of, of responses, it just becomes too difficult to keep up with splintering conversations. Yeah, uh, and, and unlike, it's, it's, so it's so hard to understand tone as well. Um, exactly. And, and, you know, as much as I grew up loving reading video game opinion and you know writing about video games i have you know i now consume all of my video game discourse through podcasts because i enjoy that long form in-depth discussion where you can really get into the nitty-gritty and you can nitpick stuff but you can also like highlight the stuff that you really love and you know especially for a complicated game like this um yes like yeah absolutely i uh, i reviewed uh way of the samurai 4 for pixel bit years ago for playstation mm-hmm. 3 and a lot of the text of the review was me saying okay look based on our like review score rubric this is only getting two stars but i need to impress upon you how much i love this game it's got huge problems 
but I can't stop playing it. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's a, I, I, cause I like flawed games and, and, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to go into this one saying like, if you have anything negative to say about stranger of paradise, I'm going to agree with you. Um, even though I really love it, it, it's the same. So death stranding is my favorite game of last generation bar none. Mm-hmm. And it may, it may sneak on to my top five. One of these days, I'm very precious about my top five of all time. So it takes a lot to get up on there. But any like criticism that you have about Death Stranding, I'm gonna be like, "Yep, no, you're right. Like this game is messed up. Like there's a lot of problems. It, it's not, it is not a perfect game by any means, but it's one of the most impactful games I've played in years. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's important. Is that you can love something, but you can also be critical of it, right? Like I, perfect. I have Final Fantasy tattooed on my body. It is, it is the most important franchise to me. I am extremely critical of Final Fantasy. <laughs> like I, yeah. I call out the the you know the what I what I feel are really bad moves that Square Enix makes um, constantly. Um, but you know I but I still support you know I I collect Final Fantasy games. It's a thing that I do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what super well said. That is that that hinges on that distinction that listeners of this podcast know that I love to make all the time, which is you can you can talk about a game's intrinsic flaws and you can talk about how much you love it at the same time. Those are those are two different things, but they can absolutely exist in harmony. Mm -hmm. You can love whatever game you love for whatever reason. Maybe you just like the word chaos, so you love Stranger of Paradise. Just gives you that dopamine the, hit every time he says it. You're like, oh, there we right, go. Right, yeah. right. But don't pretend to me that Stranger of Paradise is qualitatively the greatest game, the greatest story ever told, because you love the gameplay. Okay, those are the, the people just need to be a little more consistent with making that dis- distinction. Another thing that I was going to say was the difficulty with social media is it's super easy to meme on social media. Memeing is just a form of hieroglyphics yes. that modern society has developed in order to shortcut a lot of language. If you know the format of a meme, you can share a modification of that meme and people will understand what you mean. It's communication through symbology. I personally think that memory is important. I don't think that memory is like just trolling or is somehow morally wrong or anything like that. So I will, I will meme all the time. If I find it funny, I'll share it or I'll create it. That said, I'm not going to meme on like a two hour podcast, right? (laughs) Because it's, it's a totally different format. This is the format in which we can have a discussion about the merits and flaws of Stranger of Paradise. Whereas on Twitter, yeah, I'll compare Jack Garland to Anakin Skywalker. Oh, that's because so good. <laughs> uh, that might mm, that might be that might be doing Anakin a little dirty. <laughs> <laughs> that might be doing Anakin a little dirty. Hilarious. So I believe that elevating the conversation is absolutely necessary. Um, and, uh, but I think it has to be done in specific contexts. I think it's really difficult to do it on Twitter in a public forum where randos can just lump on you because they love final fantasy. I've had people tell me all manner of crazy things about final fantasy. You're not welcome in the final fantasy fandom. Uh, if you're a fan, you're just going to love all these things. I've had people tell me, uh, you know, at question, why are final fantasy fans, uh, why do Final Fantasy fans hate their own games? 
just because I've said negative things about Final Fantasy. Yeah. And I feel like there's a very strong vibe of identifying with these games on a personal level to where if you criticize these things, uh, it becomes a personal criticism. And that I'm I'm thoroughly against. I don't feel like there should be any mud slinging. If people sling mud at me, I will absolutely sling mud back at them. Oh, sure. Like that's yeah. that's that's just without saying. I'm not gonna like turn the other cheek on Twitter over video games. Okay. I'll save that for like the real things that matter. But at the same time, yeah, if, if people just want to talk about these games, qualitatively merits and flaws, I I would love to do that all day. Yeah. I, you're, you're 100% correct. And I think another part of it has stems from the way that things have become a 10 or a zero and nothing in between in the last few years where, you know, Seven is a good score. And the fact that, yes. that a lot of gamers TM don't think that there's like, why did you hate this game? It's like, no, I think it's a really good game. It's just got some problems. Like, it's okay yeah. to say that. And, you know, it it's okay to, you know, acknowledge that like, oh yeah, like, you know, in, this, in the case of this game, it looks bad. The level design is bad. The music is disappointing. The story is b- dumb. But it's really fun to play, and I like the dumb story because it's dumb. Um, and I actually started to really love the main character because of how. Oh no! How, like yeah, it, <laughs> like we'll we'll get into it a little later. But it's like there was this one moment where I was like, "Okay, I think I like Jack." Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Amazing! Amazing! So yeah, I think that a lot of the conversation doesn't have to go to character assassination, blaming you know fanboys or anti fanboys talking past somebody. That's what I've encountered a lot: is people not arguing with what I'm saying, but arguing with what they perceive a general group right. to be mm-hmm. saying. That's been interesting because, we'll say, with Elden Ring. This is my first, I mean, I've played a little bit of Sekiro. I loved the Armored Core games, but as far as Soulsborne goes, never touched this stuff. So Elden Ring is really my first experience. And I've been really enjoying it. I've said, if you want an easy mode, play ranged magic. Cause the game ev- evidently is not built for that <laughs> stuff. You can just plow through a lot of things, but I've said, okay, you want an easy mode, play magic. And people are like, oh, you're one of those get good bros. Be like, you don't know anything about me. Yeah, that doesn't, you don't even, know. That doesn't, imp- that doesn't imply that to me at all. Um, no, I, I, but they assume that you come from either this camp or this camp, and there's no in-between. There's no grace. Unfortunately, Stranger of Paradise is a game of grace, it seems like. Yeah, and you know, as much as I love video games and video game discourse and I, and I love podcasting, I rarely feel at home with video game communities. Um, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to talk to other Final Fantasy fans or other like Bioware fans because a lot of times I just get completely repulsed by some of the takes by shipping. Well, I bring that up because that was for me. I yeah. eventually I was like, is all you people want to talk about is sexy characters that, that's because I'm out. I can't I can't do that. This. That's my problem with the Bioware stuff is that whenever a new Bioware game is it comes out invariably, it's like, well, who do you get to bang? And it's like, I don't care. Like I love the ro- <laughs> I love the romance stuff in Bioware games, but for me, it's about getting to know this character, and it's all about that discovery. And I don't care about the final, you know, scene like that. That's irrelevant to me. It's all the other stuff building up to it, but that doesn't seem mm. to be what a lot of the fandom is into. Um, 
Yeah. And, and I, you know, I think the Elden Ring stuff, I saw you tweet a really great bit of criticism about, about it that I agree with based on other of the from games that I've played in the, in the recent years and video game donkey had a really good video where he was talking, you know, critic, like critically about some of the stuff. You can't criticize Elden ring. No, it's difficult. Don't do that. You, you don't do that publicly because you will get hurt. (laughs) And and you know what? Yeah. (laughs) That's been, that's been one of the things that's turned me off of those games in general. I did buy Elden ring. Because mm-hmm. enough people that don't like those games have been like really high on it that made me want to give it a shot. But mm-hmm. a lot of the reason I had planned on not playing it was the audience that that get good mentality and you know that like these are the greatest games ever made and like you are an idiot if you think otherwise. And it's like, I mean, they're really good. They're also really janky and broken in some ways, and it's okay for you to admit that and still love it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, analogically, same thing with Final Fantasy. Oh, yeah. I, I have I have been blessed to know personally really good from soft fans who love this stuff, but kind of keep it in their pants. Aren't just like, oh, man, if you don't love it, if you don't think this is G-O-T-Y, then, you know, GTFO. Mm-hmm. But uh so I, I haven't really run with that. I haven't had too much experience with that. I, I, the things that I have seen where people are like, Oh, just get good bro. Or this is the best thing ever. Uh, you know, with a gun to your head is like, yeah, that's super, super off putting. Yeah. But fortunately every time I've had criticism of Elden ring, like a huge one was like, I can't believe the co-op on this game is as bad as it is. Like this is 2022. And they expect you to use multiple items multiple times in order to have one opportunity to run a boss with somebody else. Oh, yeah. that's weird. Uh, And and then you have to use the item again in order to do the whole thing and multiple loading screens. And like, why is this a thing? And I've asked that question and fans have just been like, well, because that's how it's always been in these games. I'm like, then you're just going to accept that for the next (laughs) 10 years. I mean, like I'm new to it so that I, I can't fall back on, well, this is just how it's always been or that, you know, the jankiness, crazy hitboxes, things like that. It's just how it's always been. You guys, it's an acquired taste. Somebody told me, I was like, do not tell me that bad game design is an acquired taste. I can, again, I freaking love Elden Ring, put like 110 hours into it so far at really enjoying it. But at the same time, I mean, come on. There there are absolutely things in it that I think they can learn from for Elden Ring 2 to that's, do better with. That's the thing. Um cuz so I'm not a I'm not a Bethesda fan, but the thing that gets very annoying for me as like following video game discourse and criticism is that they get a pass with every one of their games. It's like, well, the combat is bad and like the hit detection is janky and it's got all these bugs, but you know, nine out of 10, it's like one of the best games I've played this year. And it's like, right. But shouldn't they have improved on some of that stuff? Cause that was also the same criticism of the game that came out before this one and the game that came out before that one. And it's and it, <laughs> like, I do think that their next one, like if Starfield comes out and it's like really janky and the combat is bad and it's got a lot of glitches, I think that's going to be the one where they get taken to task, but probably only because they're owned by Microsoft now and not because people are like, guys, why didn't you, why didn't you improve this? And and mm. I never hear people saying like, yeah, they should probably fix that. Like, it just seems like, well, it's always been like that. So it's fine. And it's like, but it, mm. but it could be better. Yeah. Don't you see it could I be was, better? And, <laughs> and same, same with 
And this is where I feel like there's utility to criticism, but only if that criticism is elevated. I'm not talking about trashing video games. I'm not yeah. talking about giving games zero out of 10 be, for one reason. Yeah. I'm talking about reasonable criticism that's dispassionate that is not like doesn't make it sound like the game insulted your mom you know <laughs> like it, it, I, I, we were talking about this the other day avgn uh i can absolutely respect avgn uh what you know uh, evidently people say he's done for the the retro scene uh his his shtick and the just the comedy that's been developed there his success all those things at the same time like I've been an editor for a while on the, on this, on this website. Okay. And when people are like, Hey, can I do a review for uh bloodborne? Cause I got some thoughts. I'm like, okay. Usually when people are like, I got some thoughts and a red flag goes up mm -hmm. uh, and then they'll spend the entire view trying to comedically trash the game. Right. That to me is just saying more about the writer than it is about the game, because now you're trying to impress me based on your attempt at a at a comedic gimmick that you didn't even come up with. It's highly derivative. It's super off putting to me when like people who are bad at comedy, bad at writing and bad at this gimmick, try to do an entire review structured around that. Especially um, if, because you can definitely tell that like there's a lot of people who have never played actual bad games, right? Like, you know, you I, I listened to your to your home improvement episode. It's like that is a terrible <laughs> game, right? I have reviewed yes. some terrible games at Pixelbit, and and mm -hmm. you know some games that are like nigh on play uh, unplayable, and it's like you need to have a little. I, I you should. Have, should be aware of like the scope of like how bad games can get before you start like using like, you know, like really taking a game to task. Like I, I had mm -hmm. a game that I reviewed that gave me an existential crisis of playing video games as a whole. And that was reflected <laughs> in my review. I was like, it, it, it put me into a very bad downward spiral emotionally <laughs> from playing it. Um, wow. But you know, it's, it, and again, it goes back to that whole zero and 10 thing. It's like, people will play a game that that's you know but by all metrics probably like a like a six or a seven it's fine it's a good it's a pretty pretty good game but they'll they'll talk about it in the type of superlatives that you know or like make it sound like it's the worst thing that they've ever played and maybe it is because they haven't actually played anything that's really really terrible um mm. and i would say like yeah just it, there's a lot of really bad stuff on steam that's cheap just go go play a couple of those or what or watch some of uh, james stephanie sterling's like older content about you know some of the terrible shovelware on 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 steam and to get a good metric for like oh it could be worse it could be much worse <laughs> <laughs> right because you're kind of talking about you know the big not you individually but folk will will kind of bring that into the big games that come out of it out each year the big titles the triple a's the ones coming from big publishers and it'll either be this is the worst thing ever or oh man it's not even out yet and it's game of the year right uh, and there's a place for hyperbole and sensationalism, obviously. Again, context. If you're on Twitter and people are like, oh, man, this is my game of the year coming out in six months. Fine. <laughs> it's Twitter. <laughs> but if you're writing like critiques and reviews like that. Ugh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's much more to be done in that. Absolutely. Sphere. Yeah. I used, I used to yeah. edit previews before, you know, before I moved over to the review side of Pixelbit. And, you know, my big thing was like. 
it's a wait and see type of thing, right? Like we, we, you know, you want to get the points across of like your, what you think about it up to this point, but like, you know, you don't want to make too many like statements of like, Oh yeah, this is poised to be like the game of like the best game I've played this year. It's like, no, like you only saw like a little bit. Let's, let's, you know, let's just keep it to that. And, you know, be cautiously optimistic perhaps <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll 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 end it there <laughs> yeah absolutely uh and, and and as well making room for personal taste um that's something that i've tried to do on our website is you're writing a critique give me real reasons that i can agree or disagree with on why you think this game is either you know, well-designed or poorly designed in certain areas. And then at the same time, give me your personal experience. So like you were talking about this game, Stranger of Paradise, Julian, that you're able to point out these individual things and where there may have been opportunities for a, a more polish, but at the same time that you personally can love the this game for certain specific reasons. And so I feel like personal taste is absolutely relevant uh, it's, it's relevant here as we get into a, a talking point on tonality, uh, personal taste is one that, you know, when I saw the trailers, uh, when I played the demo for stranger of paradise, uh, Jack absolutely conflicted with, with personal taste. And that's because, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, with JRPGs, you know, growing up playing breath of fire, final fantasy, uh, really kind of being impressed with you know what i thought was great writing back then sometimes i'll go back and be like wow this translation kind of stinks uh but you're a child and you're being introduced to sometimes very heavy subjects very complex drama yeah and they got well. the, they got the points across you like like you you may not have noticed how weirdly things were worded when you were a kid mm -hmm. or a teenager but it got the point across to you uh, right. Yeah. The plot and premise came across yeah. and those things drove me to become a writer. I mean, I feel like I became, I became a writer because of video games. I wrote a book because of video games. I studied religion because of video games, a huge part of my life's pursuits and research comes from largely uh love for rpgs yeah and so then to see stranger of paradise come out and be like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like it was bizarre so uh, there's a there's a very strong tonality to stranger of paradise maybe you could talk a bit more about that uh dumb fun cringe edgelord or a bunch of key phrases that i kind of picked out all from all feedback. accurate like yes all yes accurate. yes and yes <laughs> um yeah, I mean, I think it helps because I'm right there with you. Like Final Fantasy IV was the game that cemented that this was no longer going to be just like a fad or just like a childhood thing that I was going to be playing games for the foreseeable future because it it hit me so hard. And it was funny when Final Fantasy VII came out and a lot of people were talking about like, oh, it's the first time I've ever cried at a video game. And I was like, Final Fantasy IV made me cry. Chrono Trigger made me cry. Final <laughs> Fantasy VI made me cry. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a weepy guy, but like they hit me very hard emotionally. Um, but I think it helps that since this game is based on Final Fantasy One, you know, there's not a lot of sacred cows in in that game. You know, like like because there aren't like actual characters in it and there is not you know again the story is kind of not there until it's there and then it's over 
Um, so it's a good like blank slate to build off of. It's just really weird that this is what you choose to build upon that blank slate um, mm. with characters that are still blank slates. Like, because I think again, I think the concept of okay, yeah, let's let's kind of retell Final Fantasy One and we'll give it actual characters with motivations and personalities. I think that's an awesome idea. It's compelling. Yeah potentially if, yeah. if they had backstories and emotions and, and you know like <laughs> um so so there there's a great part uh, you know again we're, we're in spoilers mm-hmm. it, it's in one of the most recent dungeons i did where before everything starts jed who is like you know the the one like anime boy of the group he's, he's the one that's kind of the wisecracker he gets in front of the group and he's like you guys know i like to speak my mind Keep in mind, Moses, that he has never said anything of the sort up to this point. He has just said one-liners. Okay. Well, we know he likes to speak his mind because he said so. Right. He's like, (laughs) you know, I like to speak my mind. I really need to get this off my chest. And immediately Jack is like, let's go. And he just shoulders past, shoulder bumps past him. And everybody just keeps walking. (laughs) Which is, it's, it's interesting. It's almost like it's consciously trying to work against the idea that Final Fantasy games are emotionally, you know, profound, or that there's complex themes going on. At the very start of the game, Jack is just walking around with his crystal, and two guys walk up behind him, like, "Hey, yo, you got a crystal?" And he's like, "You want to kill chaos?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure." Yeah, and that's it. Which that's you know, it. like that—that's not too far off from like the original Final Fantasy, where it's just like four warriors show up in town with orbs. And, you right, know. and I get it. I think the huge difference. Is and we're talking. This is maybe a great place to bring this up. I think the huge difference is Final Fantasy One is like an archetypal fairy tale. Yes, where it's like a knight came and saved the princess, and that's all you need to know because it's about the ideal. Once you start getting into the modern era, where you've got voice acting, you've got characters with all the these visual textures going on, it's not. <laughs> Especially if you're trying to tell stories with all these cutscenes and things like that, trying to say get behind the characters of Final Fantasy One and figure out what makes them tick, it comes off as extremely shallow than to try and I say I guess do nothing with these characters. And to give Final Fantasy One, the original, uh, you know, the credit, man, I mean that the game operated on all kinds of subversions of expectations. You know, games would be about rescuing the princess again, archetypal fairy tale. You rescue the princess and then the game starts. Right. And then it's got a time paradox, you know, a uh, twist. It's got a mixture of science fiction and science fantasy fantasy. It combines all kinds of mythological textures together. I, I think it's a really fascinating fairy tale. Um, so then, again, to see how Stranger of Paradise approaches that world in this manner is just bizarre. It really is bizarre. So much of it is bizarre. And I I can't tell where the creators are. I can't tell if they're trying to tell a very earnest tale um, and failing miserably a la The Room. Because this, I feel like this is The Room of video games. Because I love, I love <laughs> bad movies. But the best bad movies are the ones that don't know that they're bad, right? And I can't tell if that's what this is or if they're in on the joke and this is all a work in, like, you know, wrestling terms. Because, like, you know, like, like that scene is a perfect example. But, like, Jack himself is, like, 
yo, what if you took a gym bro and sat him down to play D and D and he's like, I don't want to talk to people. I just want to kill stuff. Cause, cause Jack literally skips the cutscenes. Like people are talking and he's like, I don't care who you are. And then he tries to punch them. Even though he has a giant sword on his back, he always wants to punch things with his fists. And I don't know why that is, but it is so hilarious to me. And I have laughed out loud at every single cutscene in this game. And I love it for it. But again, I don't know if that's intentional or not. <laughs> right. And that's, that's I think, is a key distinction. So, you know, as, as I was kind of criticizing this game, I'm also playing through Final Fantasy V. And somebody got on me and they were like, yeah, but in Final Fantasy V, you fight like a tree. In Final Fantasy X, like your dad is a whale. These games have never been serious. I'm like, okay, no. Step off for a second. The the beauty, I think, especially of the single-digit Final Fantasies, is they were able to, to balance very heavy dramatic moments with extremely silly moments. Final Fantasy VI is one game that has you fighting an octopus on stage in an opera in the same game as a character attempting and failing to commit suicide. Yeah, and there's there's a teen pregnancy angle, and there's like the breaking of the world, and there's there's the, so the much wholesale yeah. genocide of an entire kingdom, and it's like yeah, it, it's it's super heavy. Yeah, and and I think what you know one of the things I criticize the series on you know lately is that like they don't really try to go for those hard punches anymore. It's like everybody lives. And it's like, it used to be like real, like, it's like, oh, who's going to survive? You know, Final Fantasy, I, and maybe it's because four was my, my four, first big four, one. Where yeah. It's like, you were led to believe, I mean, not really only one person actually dies, but you were led to believe that people are just dropping left and right. And it's like, this is so sad. Like, I can't, like, everybody's leaving me. And, and but it's really powerful in, in the moment. And, you know, like, and I think that's why the Aerith part of Final Fantasy seven hits so hard. Right, but right, right. But they don't do that anymore. Yeah, and that balance though, I of in of silly and and serious, mm -hmm. but the intentionality. So again, I'm playing Final Fantasy V. Final Fantasy V is a riot. I yeah. it's but it's intentionally comedic. It's intent you can tell they're almost telling jokes, but they know that they're that the game is silly. They know that the characters have a lot of this levity to them. They know that there's some serious moments, but again, that there's a lot of, it felt like a very fresh Final Fantasy and that there's a lot of levity to it. When you get to Stranger of Paradise, that was the question that I had. Is this supposed to be intentionally funny? Or, here's a question I want to run past you. Is this the equivalent of, of Mystic Quest all over again? Is this what they think the West would take seriously. And, and that had been my theory before I actually played. I, I mentioned that to you on Twitter is, is that I feel that this was intended to be the modern day mystic quest a la this is the game designed to get Western audiences more interested in final fantasy because, you know, Western audiences have gotten really into the souls like games. Right. Um, and so mm -hmm. that's really hot right now. And it's like, okay, but we'll make, we'll make this really relatable dude bro character. Cause that's what we think the West wants. Um, but, I, <laughs> but I don't know now that I'm deeper into the game. I, some part of me feels that it's all a big joke, but then I remembered hearing in an interview that like, they were kind of like upset about the memeing after the first trailer. And it was like, wait, so are you guys serious? Like, is this like, you know, I think is this, yeah. is this supposed to be like, serious business because it's not you see that right <laughs> yeah i think that if i had to go if i had to guess either way i really would think that 
they thought that this would be seriously received, that they that this was a serious attempt. And I think that comes down to the reveal capital T, capital R. Because I've read an interview with Nomura uh that you know stated this reveal was supposed to be the reveal. It was supposed to be <gasps> no. When instead it wound up being a part of the memory right. instead. So I don't know if that's an element of being out of touch. Somebody on this episode, on this episode, it's only you and me. Somebody <laughs> on this show uh, previously said, uh, and this goes back to uh, Bookworm Games on the Xeno Gears episode. Uh, they said, if you look at the history of creatives, it seems for a lot of people that they peak early in their career. Yeah. Rather than later. They come to define a lot of their career by really early kind of things that combine the start of a lot of experience and, and refining of skills with early passion. Whereas over time, and I, this is all generally speaking, folks don't, don't get mad. Uh, over time, they come to refine their talents and skills to such an extent that it almost becomes mechanical and rote. It, Which I think is interesting. That's no, a very that, that's interesting that's extremely thing. interesting. It reminds me. So one of my favorite movies of all time is Singing in the Rain. Um, mm-hmm. I used to watch it with my mom all the time. And there's a part. It, it's actually like an imaginary scene for the movie that they're that they're making. But it's called Broadway Melody. And so it's a story of like this like up and comer who comes to New York and he's trying to make a name for himself on Broadway. And so there's this part where it's a medley where he starts and it's the same song, but he, it's like, first he comes down, he's doing all of this. Like it's, it's like very funny. And he's actually like in this oversized suit and he does the song. And then he does this really elaborate dance move. Right. And then mm-hmm. it cuts to a little bit later in his career. And he's at a more, like a more, you know, like, like a fancier venue. And so his outfit is a little bit better and he's still doing the same act, but it's a little bit more refined and when he gets to the dance number, his moves are a little stiffer, but they're very, you know, but but it's more elegant. And then when you get to the final iteration of it, it's like this big grand stadium or whatever. And he's in a full like tuxedo with a top hat. And, he, you know, he does the song, but then he just does like a very slight like kick to the left, kick to the right. Upper body isn't moving at all. And it's like, yeah, the more successful he gets, the less he has to do. And, and, it, and it's very interesting of like, you know, I'm a big wrestling fan too. And it's like, you, you'll see like guys annihilate themselves on the indie scene. And then when they make it finally to like the big leagues, it's like, they don't have to do that anymore. So like the stuff that, you know, you really love to see them do back in the day. It's like, not only do they not have to do it, they don't want to do it. And that's, that's also Mm. not like what they're interested in doing at that point in their career. And it's, Mm. you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I I mean, it acknowledges too, that, People change, you know, yeah. I, you can't help the fact that you change. Uh, this is where I'm going to talk about Chrono Trigger for a bit. This is the Chrono Trigger segment of the podcast. <laughs> uh, talking with people this morning and last night about Chrono Trigger getting a remake um, has been a, a, a big discussion. There's a lot there that I don't want to necessarily get into. Um, but sometimes people will say, just get the, the dream team back together. Uh, but you can't because the dream team that made the game in the 90s is not the same dream team that you could assemble today. Sakaguchi, Hori, Toriyama, Uematsu, Mitsuda, Kato, all those people have changed. Yeah. They're not the same. I mean that's that's not saying that they've changed negatively. That's not saying that, you know, now they make rubbish games. I'm not saying that. They're just saying people change. They're not the same creative 
forces that they were in the past. Nobody is. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just a fact of life. So to be able to, and you see this, okay, with Star Wars, right? <laughs> George Lucas is like, oh yeah, we're going to revisit Star Wars. Look how that turned out. Okay. And then you've got Mickey Mouse over here, Mickey Mousing Star Wars as well. So it's like to try to capture something from the past that was lightning in a bottle. I don't think that that always works out. So when it comes to Stranger of Paradise, I almost feel like it I almost feel like it benefits from less comparison to Final Fantasy 1. It does. Um especially because like and one of one of my and because I wouldn't have this criticism if it if it was less related to Final Fantasy 1, but you know, so at the beginning it's pretty close, right? You go to Cornelia, or I always say Corneria because you know the old translation. <laughs> um and you yeah. talk to the king and Princess Sarah is there and it's all good. And then you go to Provoca and Captain Bique is there, cool. But then it kind of stops. Like you don't go to Elfheim. Um, you do meet Astos, but you don't meet like the Prince of the Elves, and like there's no mm-hmm. Matoya, and you know, it's like like go all the way or don't go at all guys. Like I was kind of hoping to see like some of these, you know, like characters realized in modern day sensibilities and stuff like that. And I thought that would have been neat because it's not like there's a lot of characters in final fantasy one. So let's at least, right. Let's at least put them in here. Cause there's only a couple that you're missing. Um, and also because it's, again, it's dumb fun, but like, you know, you can talk to the townspeople in Corneria, but it's like just from a drop down menu but then you don't go to any other towns. So you don't really get to do that with anybody else. And it's like, okay, like I, I like the concept of still getting to talk to people that have nothing important to say, but it gives you a little bit of flavor. Um, but then also the fact that it comes down from a drop down menu, it it really shattered like the the mirror for me about what RPGs actually are. And I I, I it it messed me up for a couple of weeks where I was like what even is a role playing game like what what am i what am i actually losing by not having to manually walk from the chaos shrine back to corneria like hmm. am i like really that's only an excuse to grind but you're grinding in the dungeons so that doesn't really matter right and, and it was like it's all a lie like my favorite genre is just all a lie um <laughs> and i've come i've come to p- make peace with it now where it's like no but i really do need that sense of you know traveling and you know exploration and, and stuff like that yeah you need yeah. that you can't just have it be menus it, i mean right they had to do that for this because that's what you know they're working off of like the neo architecture and apparently that's what neo does but yeah um it, it makes me question what final fantasy 7 remake 2 is going to look like because hmm. if it's literally just like now you go to this major area and explore it in full 3d but you don't get any of the traveling between them gonna be kind of bummed yeah i mean i think a little bit about final fantasy 10 uh, Mm because it had that map where you kind of move from icon to icon but there was still connective tissue between that yeah uh a lot of people have compared 10 to 13 where you know they're linear but 13 you're running down hallways 10 you've got places to stop play games talk to people talk to people you want to talk a bit about the talk mechanic in stranger (laughs) of paradise maybe the most bizarre mechanic that i encountered in this game i don't know that modern rpgs really handle talking to npcs real well uh in seven remake you run past npcs that are just kind of just talking but if you keep running past them as you have to do in certain areas they'll literally just say the same thing over and over again every time you pass them which seems a little ridiculous uh in 15 they solved it by basically making nobody interactable 
and then when you come to this, there's a and you're on the world map, you click on talk and then you can select an NPC in the town to talk with and they'll be like, May the crystals bless you, and that's it. And it also and has like, to do what? it also has to do a load. And everybody is set at the same area in the in the town. They're all at the same fountain. Yeah, um, bizarre. Yeah, I was like, "What is this? What, you, Why is this even here?" You, you don't. The, the funny thing is that, like, well, I I really enjoyed this part where there because there's two guards. There's the grizzled veteran and the fresh faced recruit. And there's uh-huh. one part in the story where they say the same thing to you, and I'm like, "Okay, that's cute," because you know you would definitely see that with guard NPCs in those older games where they would just say the same stuff. But then there's a part where the fresh face recruit says to me, um, you know, between you and me, um, Biggs is acting really weird lately, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, who's Biggs? You've never mentioned him in this game before. Are you Wedge? Who are you supposed to be? Like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. I I remember days when we used to walk around and talk to NPCs at will. But I feel like I was thinking about Earthbound a lot recently. And Earthbound had these quirky NPCs that you could just walk up to and interact with. And they had gold for interaction. It wasn't just kind of like fluff text. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I feel like there's a dying art to NPCs. It is because I do love going around and talking to NPCs. And sometimes it's just a little bit of world building. Sometimes it's a funny joke or something like that. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. crucial information. And, and yeah, it's a lost art. Like, like I, I, I've only started doing it recently, but I've started to talk to more of the NPCs in final fantasy 14, because the mm-hmm. writing is really good. And a lot of times they have really interesting stuff to like flesh out the world. Um, but I didn't do it for a really long time playing it. Cause it was just like, I've gotten out of the habit of doing it because what's the point anymore. Um, yeah. Plus in 14, there's enough reading as it is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried. Man, ARR is rough. There's a whole other conversation there. Yeah. Uh, moving on here, general reception. Uh, so again, I tried to gauge, you know, what do people think of this game who didn't buy it? Why didn't they buy it? You know, what's preventing them from buying it? And then people who did buy it, what do they think if they didn't write a review? Um, a bit of pushback on that. Like, Moses, why do you care about what other people think? You shouldn't let other what other people think affect how you enjoy a game. And let me say, that's not even remotely why I'm interested in understanding what people think about a game. I believe that understanding what people think about a game is a virtue in itself, is the end in itself. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how could you not value understanding more about what people understand? To me, that's, that's enough. And I'm not saying that, oh, I need people to tell me if this game is good or bad before I decide to play it. I've decided based on what I've seen that eventually I want to get this thing because I want to look at the train wreck. <laughs> uh, I'm just kind of waiting for you know it to go down in price. Uh, but gauging general reception has been very interesting. I've, I, I know a lot of very vocal people, but then it was also interesting to capture some thoughts from people who don't necessarily always chime in on threads that I post. Uh, a lot of it has been positive. A lot of it has been negative. Uh, there's things here from at Burko. Uh, how can you possibly stomach playing this game? Play Jack. I think the unveiling, the over repetition of the name chaos, 
uh, turned me off. Terrence Harkin, the marketing made me cringe. The Kai's, I probably prefer to go back and play Final Fantasy 1 again. Divine Xerness, I'm thinking about what would happen if Stranger of Paradise didn't have Final Fantasy in it. How reviews would reflect reflect that because not as many people would have bought it to take that risk. Uh, Snapper Tricks, it's Final Fantasy. I'll give it a go. You know, you said that as well. Mm -hmm. Though it ends up being... Though if it ends up being what I think it is, I'm going to be irritated. <laughs> More power to you, Snapper. Hopefully you muscled through it. Vox Geyser said, I really enjoyed it. I'm here to push buttons and make the enemies in the game sad, not be slowed down by saving the world or by why I'm saving the world. And I feel like that was a lot of folks. That's that's the vein that I, I saw here, a theme that people are saying, you know what? I really don't care about video game stories, so I know I'm going to like this game. Uh, and maybe there's an element of you kind of have to set that aside uh, in the context of Final Fantasy, that's hard. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think. Yeah. Um, but if you're able to do that, again, more power to you. Uh, a big one was from at Magimetal on Twitter who said, I've been struggling with this one. Combat someone enjoyable, but I'm so sick and tired of hearing the same story from Final Fantasy 1 in all, all its different mediums. It's hard to enjoy it. Uh, I remember reading that a number of the locations were designed to invoke a level of nostalgia from different Final Fantasies. I struggled to get into really any of that from it so far. Really wanted to like this one, but in my opinion, it's a very mediocre showing and feels like a tech demo. Lots of jaggies on PS5, and he kind of gets into more like technical talk there. So looking and then at reviews as well, there's been positive reviews, but I feel like it's safe to say this game has received a mixed reception. Mm-hmm. From folk, it hasn't been entirely bad, hasn't been entirely good, but for the game that's marking the 35th anniversary of the series, this is a game that's had a mixed reception. The question, though, is, and again, we've been hinting at this the whole time: Does marketing matter? Some have told me no, marketing doesn't matter because I don't pay attention to trailers. I know what I'm going to buy, and I'm not necessarily talking about. You know, marketing, changing your mind about if you're going to buy it or not. But does marketing matter, in your opinion, in forming kind of a general consensus about what a game is and what it's going to be about? Yeah, I think it does matter because I think I think it can. There's certain games where if they had actually kind of tilted more into what the game is is going to be it might've gotten more people interested. I think, I think this one is actually a good example of that where it's like, I think, I think if they had been a little bit more upfront about like, Hey, there's more going on here than meets the eye, you know, with the story. And then also really highlighted like how good the combat is. I, I, and, and that it's actually quite different than the assumed like, Oh, it's final fantasy meets dark souls. Got it. And and it's not that. Um, I, I think that if they could have been in a little bit, uh, clearer on that maybe it would have helped out i don't think you can really get around the cringiness that is jack and the obsession with chaos it i will say for people that are on the fence there's a lot less of that the further you get into the game um it, it's he he's more obsessed about it at the beginning and then later he's kind of just in, generally just wants to kill stuff um although it is <laughs> funny when you get your fifth party member because literally she's like 
I don't know who I am. All I know is that I need to kill chaos. And I'm like, oh, you two should kiss. <laughs> <laughs> you have so much in common. I, you think about the trailers. We were talking earlier about potential mismarketing or mismanaged marketing. There's absolutely, absolutely examples in cinema that I can think of, uh, you know, where I feel like the marketing was for a completely different film. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a huge Superman fan. Uh, I was very, you know, much anticipating Man of Steel uh, when that was going to come out. And I remember seeing Man of Steel trailers and just being like, wow, this is going to be an amazing, cerebral, you know, profound, emotional Superman story. And a lot of it ended up being a cartoon, like, action movie, mm -hmm. uh, which is fine. It's Superman, whatever. Uh, but it seems going back and looking like, was this trailer even for this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then sometimes you'll see, you know, like in the case of Stranger of Paradise, uh, I had to look at a, a four minute and 53 second final trailer for Stranger of Paradise uh, featuring my way by Frank Sinatra, of all things that they cut that has that they cut oh, off in the in the actual cutscene in the game, by the way, like it's, again, very poorly directed. <laughs> Yeah, like, why is this song in this game? But I, I, I watching that trailer again, it's almost entirely cutscenes. Yeah, I'm scrubbing through it right now, and it's just it's people talking, and it's a couple of action cutscenes as well. And that I think does this is a final trailer, and you're banking the entire marketing on relationships between characters that are not complicated that are not even appealing to many people, but just, I must kill chaos. And that is, that is you, they state their motivation it's, over and over again. It's and so it's one strange. thing to say, yeah. I don't, I don't care. It's one thing to say, I don't care about story. That's fine. Um, but no doubt this game was banking on marketing its story and putting that foot forward when instead it should have been marketing its gameplay. Absolutely. I mean, We've only had one trailer for Final Fantasy 16, and I feel that I have a better idea of what that game is going to play like from that one trailer than anything they showed of Stranger of Paradise leading up to it. Well, interesting. <laughs> wow, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've, we've said a lot about marketing there. There's certainly many, many examples uh, that you could pull, but there's a lot there. But we're coming, we're coming to the sticking point, the reveal. Uh, how Stranger connects to Final Fantasy 1. Um, other remakes of Final Fantasy, a question that uh, that came up uh, various times. Actually, I think you and I might have been chatting about this as well, but Arisen Gaming on Twitter said, uh, Square keeps trying to make a shared universe. Dissidia, Final Fantasy 14, now this. A lot of the shared elements in the games could easily be explained by some kind of mirror parallel universe narrative if they could pick one and stick with it. Do you think that Stranger forebodes uh, them eventually trying to tie canonically all of the Final Fantasies together? Especially with, again, Final Fantasy VII Remake's approach to sort of a metaverse of sorts? I don't think so. I, I think mm -hmm. it, it actually is going more for what Final Fantasy XIV does, which is that basically all the Final Fantasy games exist in their own parallel dimensions. And it would be possible if you had like the right magic or the right machinery to visit those dimensions. That's the impression that I get. Um, mm -hmm. 
and, and you know, for the record, I, I reject the idea of like, ooh, what if this was all in the same world? Like, what if, what if you know, right. what, what what if like the world of Final Fantasy one is the apocalypse after the world of Final Fantasy seven? It's like, no, 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 please, no. Let's not do that. Let's not Hyrule Historia this to death. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like that's necessary. Not at all. I feel all. like it's a stretch. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to appreciate these games in that way. Yeah, no. and I think 14 is a great example of like they'll take they'll take freely from other games that you know like they'll take you're playing Final Fantasy V right now. Cryle is in Final Fantasy 14 and she's a major character. She's not Cryle from Final Fantasy V. She has mm. similarities to that character, um, but but it it feels and and you know like Evilise is in the world of Final Fantasy 14. Um, it's not the evil East from Final Fantasy Tactics or Final Fantasy XII, but it is a version of that world. Um, and I think they do a really, and, but then at the same time, there's also just straight up other realities where, you know, I'm actually doing a quest line right now where I'm about to fight Kefka and it's from an alternate reality or, or like another dimension mm-hmm. where, you know, they even tell you like, oh yeah, this, this, this clown from this dimension apparently destroyed everything. Um, go fight him. Uh, you know, and it's like, I think that's really cool. I I don't like the idea of them trying to like make it all like one big universe, like that's all combined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think that's the intention here. I really hope mm-hmm. not because I want a sequel to this in a really big mm-hmm. way. I, I think they should do this for Final Fantasy 2 and 3 and then stop. Um, okay. That was the next question I was going to have for you too. Do you feel like uh, this is an approach. So we saw Final Fantasy VII remake, mm-hmm. which, in my view, is not at all Final Fantasy OG. It's different story, different characters. Characters have different awareness, knowledge. Uh, there's certainly different story elements that are being developed, and it's going to have a different direction entirely than the original did. And that's fine. It's just it's its own thing. Yeah. Whether just, you like that or not. I just wish I had known that going into it. So I, I... <laughs> Exactly. Same. Same. And that's the mismarketing back again. And then with Final Fantasy Stranger Paradise or whatever its wacky title is. <laughs> <laughs> right. With that, uh, you know, is that going to become this this kind of revisiting these previous games that were made by creators who don't even work at Square anymore. I mean Sakaguchi isn't there to helm these projects anymore Mm -hmm. based on creations that he started himself back in the day. Um, Is that kind of approach to remaking in some quasi sense, final fantasy, what we're going to see, are we going to see a remake and finger quotes of, of final fantasy two, final fantasy three, final fantasy four, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, they've already done, they already did that with four with the DS one. Um, is it after years, right? No, no, no. Like the actual 3D. Um, oh, that's three, isn't it? No, no, no. That, that they did. Well, they did three. That was the first time we got okay. three. But they did remake four in in the same graphic style. Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. The 3D, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, Have not played it. And yeah, because I, I see a lot of people calling for them to remake six, and and I'm like, I I think the pixel remaster is actually more what you want slash need in that respect. Like, I don't think there's right. a lot of reason to remake those games. You could make a mm-hmm. better um, argument for seven, eight, and nine, just because PlayStation games, you know, don't hold up that well. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, I'm like, I'm fine with the HD remasters that they've released on consoles. Like that, you know, they look they look nice and they run on my new console. That's really all I need or want. Right, um, and I can empathize with folk who are like, we've had releases of these games. 
you know, show us something new. Mm -hmm. But if you go out to that limb, then I would just respond, why not ask for new games? Why ask for a new game with a skin from a previous game? Yeah. That to me doesn't make sense. When you mentioned like, you know, the possibility of like, oh, just bring back the team that made Chrono Trigger to do a Chrono Trigger remake. My my response is, okay, let's get them back together, but let's let them do something new. Because, like, right. I'm all for bringing the band back together from, you know, like, they, the last time they did it was for Final Fantasy IX. I would love to see mm-hmm. them do one last Final Fantasy, but maybe not at the scope of a Final Fantasy sixteen, right? Maybe it's it's more of a, you know, Switch-style 2D game. Like, maybe, maybe it's even the same design sensibilities of their older games, but it's just, like, new story, new art, you know, new characters mm-hmm. made by those teams or by that team. I think that'd be neat. Um, but I don't want to see them re- retread on what they've already done because they nailed it the first time. Right. There's no point. I don't. Again, I don't see the point. If you want to see something new, ask for a new game. If you want to see preservation of something old, then don't ask for them to redo it over entirely different. Yeah. So at a certain point, it becomes, I think, unrecognizably different. Where you talk about Stranger of Paradise to- tonally. Uh, there's so much different from Stranger of Paradise compared to the original Final Fantasy one. I was attempting to make a point recently that tonally, Final Fantasy seven and Final Fantasy seven remake are very different. Uh, again, I could do- totally see that seven needed a remake. Definitely. Uh, I think that seven remake is more than just a remake, but that's neither here or there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one interesting point that you brought up earlier before we started was the Japanese approach to preservation of legacy. I mean, we're talking about the legacy of final fantasy. Uh, you know, people are like remakes don't obliterate the original. You can always play the original and I get that, but you only get one legacy. Yes. And you can't remake a legacy. Now, when it comes to revisiting the things of the past, you mentioned that you you saw an interesting quotable on that. Yeah, there, there. I forget where the interview was, but but basically they were interviewing Sakaguchi, and he straight up said, "Yeah, I, I don't really think about my past career. Like I'm I'm focused more on what's coming up next. Like I, I don't see any benefit in looking back." And I get that, but. You know, especially Japanese game development, we have such spotty record of that era. Mm -hmm. And I I feel the need to get as much of those stories recorded for posterity while we have the chance. Um, Like, I need Miyamoto to spill the beans before he's gone. Um, Mm -hmm. Because we see that so much more in Western game development. Like, there there will be, like, incredible articles and interviews and books you know, where the actual people who made the games are talking candidly about what went into making the games, right? Mm-hmm. Or they'll remaster the games. Like, I think a great example is like Halo Anniversary, where they, it's like, they redid all the graphics, but then with a push of a button, you can see how the game used to look like, and you can play it that way if you want. Um, right. Like, right. that's amazing. And and because what, I've said this for years, but what I want, and I've wanted it for so long, is, I don't know, are you aware of like the Sega Ages collections that they did in Japan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want that for Final Fantasy. I want this one disc that has Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3, but it's every version of them, along with a like just a metric ton of like behind the scenes and archival stuff, you know, scans of instruction manuals, ads, trailers, whatever. 
And then another disc that has Final Fantasy five, six, or Final Fantasy four, four, five, and six. Same thing. All the different versions on one disc, you know, in HD, tons of archival stuff, and then just so on and so forth for the entire series. And I want it on one system in physical form that I can put on a shelf and just have literally all of the mainline Final Fantasy at my fingertips. Mm. I yeah, sure. Yes. Sign me up. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I feel like maybe, I mean, there's obviously there's cultural differences. Uh, it may be a combination of humility and also not even really grasping just how important this series is to people worldwide. Again, J- Japan is tiny. Yeah. Tiny. And it's remarkable how uh, Japan being so small has affected the worldwide uh, entertainment industry. Um, I think that last point, I think that last point is the big one. I I think that they, they are not really cognizant of how much this stuff means to people. Um, Like, you know, because we don't even know, like, a lot of the people who worked on these games, right? Like, in the early days, they right. used, like, yeah. pseudonyms. They didn't even use their real yeah. names. Um, the Castlevania, right? Christopher B. Or, like, who's Christopher B? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think, and the reason that I'm so excited for 16 and why I think it's in good hands is that Naoki Yoshida, who's the producer of Final Fantasy XIV, seems to be that guy who understands what Final Fantasy means to people. Um, mm. And it's so, it's very telling to me that you have... Sakaguchi and Mitsuda playing Final Fantasy 14. If if you made a game that the creators of Final Fantasy of yore also want to play, you're probably doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> Stop what you're doing right now. Pause the podcast, open up a new tab, open up a new window, smash your laptop, buy a new one. Head over to joypadlad.com right now. The guy has a 50% off sale on everything if you're looking for retro goods merchandise comic books cards all all manner of things i bought some like a blanket for my kids that they adore that's joypadlad.com this is not a drill there's a link in the description hurry up and get there and buy something because what you're looking for may not be there if you don't get there soon enough uh, it, it's an interesting conundrum. You know, you recall when Square put out the Pixel re- remasters and their statement on bringing them to console was, well, we need to see if there's interest first. Which, yeah. Like, are you kidding? You started kidding. your company on console. Like PC was not where you guys cut your teeth. Like people associate your brand with consoles, specifically Nintendo and Sony consoles. <laughs> Yes, and I get, I mean, PC is a platform that exists. Yeah, it should definitely be on PC, absolutely. Right. It should also be on everything else. Yes, nobody's saying to the exclusion of PC, but for games that started on console, for, you know, considering how well consoles are doing in terms of sales, it seems like, I mean, considering how the Final Fantasy series has sold, how could there not be interest? Yeah in the final fantasy series that to me is again just a disconnect on the business angle i mean i don't feel like the the actual creatives are saying well we need to see interest because they're busy being creative but marketing teams budget teams the board members all that are like well we need to see interest first before we spend money on this and and that's just business stuff it's extra weird because then recently they've made some really great moves that i would not have expected like 
I would never in a million years have guessed, hey, we're remaking Front Mission 1 and 2 and we're bringing it out, yeah. folks. It's like, wait, what? I've always wanted to play Front Mission 1 and 2. How is this even happening? <laughs> yeah. Live Alive. Yes. I, live a Live. I, However you want to pronounce it. I just it. pre-ordered yeah. it yesterday. I was like, I'm so glad there's a physical copy coming out because this is something yeah. that I want to have in my hot little hands. <laughs> Radical, I mean, it's crazy. Radical Dreamers yeah. gets an official translation yeah. in English. And then they release Chocobo GP. Yeah. And so, yeah. Like, and Square, that, what are you doing? <laughs> it, it, the way that Square Enix operates is a lot like how I could talk about Stranger of Paradise, which is for every positive thing that I can say about Stranger of Paradise, I can follow it up with a negative thing. <laughs> it's a pendulum. It's a pendulum that swings back and forth. It swings to one side, and then it swings to the other side. Uh, you know, Triangle Strategy comes out. Wow. Chocobo G- GP comes out and people feel alienated. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's bizarre. But I did. OK, so as we come to the end of this discussion here, now we're going to talk about the reveal again, folks, spoilers. Uh, the reveal happens to do with character identities. OK, so I would love to hear first uh, what kind of your theories are on, on all of this. Again, I've not played through the whole game. I've talked with folks who have played through the whole game, read up on the whole game. I've looked at the whole game through, you know, whatever, uh, footage you can find online Mm -hmm. and just kind of getting a sense of that. But you're at a point here where you, you've not finished the game quite yet. Right. What do you, what do you feel is going on? You mentioned the VR thing earlier. What else do you got? I threw out the VR theory and then I started Mm -hmm. to think that, and this is getting really nerdy. And the only reason I remember this is because I, I listened to no one can know about this obsessively. And I've listened to their first season like eight times where they play through f- every Final Fantasy game. But I started to think, OK, we've got five characters here. And that's significant because they're in the lore of Final Fantasy one. There were originally five heroes that tried to, you know, bring an end to the the, the time loop, but they got turned into bats. So I'm thinking at the end of this game are the five of us going to turn into bats <laughs> but then I was like, no, that seems way too cute and like deep. And so my current theory, especially because I, I did, I think I know what you're going to get at. I like, I know like who Jack is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so that leads me to think that the other four characters are the four fiends. And mm-hmm. Jack is going to be like Garland, AKA chaos, um, which also it bugs me that they all know about chaos because that was kind of like, you're not really supposed to know about chaos until the end you know, like, yeah, um, I, I feel like they leaned into the, you know, time is getting messed up thing. And that just kind of makes things confusing. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows about chaos, but then everybody doesn't know about chaos. Yeah. So Jack, what is Jack's last name? Have you gotten that far yet? No, but, but they, they ended up, I know that they revealed that just after the, the initial reaction. Cause people guessed it anyway, that, that it is Jack Garland. Right um, now, now here's the thing I was trying to find dude where, you know, who first figured it out. Yeah. Where was the first official? Okay. That's one of the, this, <laughs> we'll just say what it is because everybody figured it out. Uh, and I, I don't know which occurred first, the second trailer, or you're going to love this. If you go to the square Enix store, store.na.squareenixgames.com. Uh, they're selling a play arts action figure that's Garland in his full gear, and it's listed as Jack Garland. That's funny. So this this $240 action figure spoils, again, what Nomura called and was disappointed in the reveal being spoiled. Yeah. 
It's and that is he wasn't in charge of the action figure. Absolutely not. That's a marketing issue. That's a merchandising issue. Merchandising spoiling the entire creative like bait and switch of the game. Yeah, what is, is this? A Marvel Cinematic bizarre. Universe movie? Like what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 bizarre that we live in a in a in a in a culture that in a culture in a world where this can happen. Uh, and I feel bad for the creators who are like, oh man, this is gonna be this is gonna be so great. I get that they save his last name for late in the game. Uh, they don't tell you that his name, his full name is Jack Garland until late in the game. But again, this was in trailers. They named an action figure freaking yeah. Jack Garland. Another thing, and I was like, I can't believe this. When I'm playing the demo, the, the first scene shows Garland in his full gear uh, kidnapping the princess. And he attacks people uh, that are trying to stop him by, you know, crushing them and their blood turns into these blood crystals and they explode. Mm-hmm. Immediately after that, you as Jack, you're not told he's Jack Garland. You as Jack are instructed how to use the same exact power. Yeah. Well, and and even even when you fight Garland in quotation marks at the end of the Chaos Temple, Jed and Ash remark that he fights just like Jack. Um, well, yeah. Like, are you stupid? Yeah. Like, <laughs> why, why would you think that that was like a clever reveal if you're being that? not subtle with it. it and i don't know how how you know much of that creative decision was filtered through boards and meetings and all kinds of things but it's not subtle at all yeah and it's it's extra weird to hinge the the story along upon that because like one you know you're told like princess sarah says hey would you go find garland because like he was like my favorite knight in our kingdom and he disappeared like 10 years ago which is like a weird ask to begin with like uh, he probably dead if it's been 10 years, but okay. Um, but then you fight Garland, but then when you defeat him, like the armor melts away and it's actually Neon, your fourth party member. And it's like, okay, so what? Like, wh- like what? why even have Garland in there at the beginning? Or I don't know. The, 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 that story makes it's a absolutely mess. no it's sense. It's a mess. <laughs> yeah. It's a mess from... The mind behind Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I mean, if you want to look at again narrative mess, Kingdom Hearts. Did but, did, did Nomura have any input on the story on this one? Because it uh, it doesn't feel that bonkers. Yeah, I mean, I know that there's you know a lot that he's said in interviews about creative issues. I who knows exactly behind the scenes yeah. how this went down and who came up with what plot. And I, 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 I agree. I don't think you can entirely pin every single thing on Nomura. I think that's extremely unfair. Um, no, but, at the but same the really, time, the, the projects really that weird, he's attached to. Yeah, the really weird yeah. stuff in the projects he's attached to, I tend to lay at his feet. Like, um, especially like I, I, I have no basis of like reason for believing this. It's just a thing that I believe is that I feel that he's the one responsible for all the weird names of square enus games like yeah i I feel that that's what that it just feels like a thing that he would do based on like his like design sensibilities and like i don't know that i have no proof of that it just it just seems like every time that he's involved in something it's got a dumb name (laughs) (laughs) so here's a here's you know a possible workaround and we have the luxury of of looking at ways to solve problems in retrospect I get that when you're working on a project as huge as a game, 
it can be hard to implement certain things that might quote unquote fix a story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, again, I don't want to be completely unfair here. Um, but I feel like say, do, does Garland have to be a proper name? Like Garland could be a role or a tier of night. Um, so that when Jack becomes Garland, his name isn't literally freaking Ted Sephiroth. Again, <laughs> yeah. like his name is not Bob Kefka. His name isn't Jack Garland, but his name is Jack. And he, when he assumes this position of Dark Knight, he is crowned Garland. Uh, that could have been a perfectly reasonable response that maybe would have prevented them from naming an action <laughs> figure Jack freaking Garland. Yeah. Uh, the other bit is evidently, uh, so now you're thinking about the five, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the four party members. Four party members become the four fiends. That's Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is that? Yeah. That's what it actually is? Yeah. Okay, yeah. They kind of, they kind of tip their hand on that as you defeat them. Um, but I actually found that to be, I think that's actually pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. especially, I think it's cooler than Jack Garland. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, cause they didn't name the guy Jed Lich, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or neon Tiamat. It's just like, but I think the tip uh, off there is you've you... got two male, two female, and there were two male and two female, uh, um, Fiends. what is it? Fiends. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I love hanging out at the Lich family's house. They're just really good people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the sci-fi stuff, uh, this I think is the most interesting bit. Uh, you have the, uh, how do you say it? Lufenians. Lufenians, yeah. Yeah. Which, which are Who, a race in the original game. Yes, absolutely. And that's where you get some of the science fantasy stuff, which I really l- adored. Mm-hmm. I think that it was interesting for Sakaguchi to pull things from Gulliver's Travel, from Castle in the Sky, and introduce those elements into an otherwise very medieval fantasy world. Uh, but the Lufinians in Stranger of Paradise are kind of manipulating this this world from in, in a very aloof sense and resetting it various times to try and control its destiny and that sort of thing. Uh, and so I think that definitely introduces some of the, the sci-fi visuals that we've seen. Um, that to me is vastly more interesting than the reveal. Yes. Um, and, and I think that yeah. Go I ahead. was just to say like because you get you do get to pick up little bits of story lore at, in the dungeons. Like there's little items where if you interact with them, you'll get like a you know some of the fools missives, and you also get some reports from like Luf- the the, the uh, Lufenians. And mm-hmm. I actually got really invested in that stuff to the point where it was like I think I missed some of these, and I'm really sad that I missed some of them because I wanted I want all of it. Because um, yeah, I I think again th- like this the bones of this game are solid. Um, it is a great framework to build upon, and I I hope it does well enough for them to to take another stab at it, um, and then Crystal Blood break it because um, I I think I think I think it's really <laughs> cool. I think I think the the base concept is really neat, and again the combat system, the job system is just ridiculously fun, and I would love to see them go forward with it. I don't need mm. them to go forward with Jack Neon Jet and Ash. Um, mm-hmm. like let, let's maybe try to come up with some better characters for the next one, but mm-hmm. yeah, like, like, and you're right, like that stuff, like, and then the fact that they're bringing in, it's like, well, yeah, our designers decided to base this one off of, you know, this part of dimension five and, and it's like, yeah, that's cool. And I want to know who the fool is. I don't know who the fool is that's writing all this stuff. 
Um, at mm. first I thought it was Kefka, but I was like, no, that's two on the nose. That's really weird. It wouldn't be him. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> two on the nose. Let it never be said of Square Enix that that was two on the nose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, I feel like there are elements in which Stranger unpacks itself interestingly. Um, and then there are things that you can see coming from a mile away that, uh, I don't know, to me, that seems very, very disappointing. Um, it's disappointing, you know, and here's the Anakin thing. And maybe we can kind of tie this up and we'll get to the, the final questions here, uh, with this, but, uh, here's where I think the Anakin comparison is, is apt, uh, Darth Vader. I remember being scared of Darth Vader when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Cause he's freaking terrifying. <laughs> I showed, I showed star Wars the first time to my kids and my kids hiding. My youngest was hiding behind a blanket whenever Darth Vader came on. Cause he's, he's a scary guy. Yeah. And then to unpack, you know, who is Darth Vader? Obviously that's, that's compelling. Who is Garland? That's there. It's compelling to revisit a past game and think about how do we deepen the characters? How do we develop, you know, these very archetypal entities? Um, but just to have, Oh, he's an angry man. Yeah. Is like, Oh, he's just a freaking whiny Jedi who is a horn dog <laughs> for this girl. Right. And, and that's it. And that's all that's there. And, and also is, it begs the question, like, did we need to know who this person was? Cause like, yeah, it's not like Garland so. <laughs> is this super memorable villain, right? Like, you know, to be fair, final fantasy as a whole does not really have a lot of really excellent villains. You know, it's, it's mm, like mm. Sephiroth Kefka. I could make an argument for Arden from final fantasy 15. Um, mm. But for the most part, a lot of times it's like, yeah, here's this embodiment of of some sort of idea that you have to fight at the end. It's been pulling the strings the whole time. Enjoy, and we just yeah. talked. We cloud just, of darkness. Yeah, Woo. we just told you about <laughs> it ten minutes ago. But it's it's the big bad. Go, and uh, yeah. so it's like you know I don't think there's a lot of like villains in the series where I'd want to see more about their backstory. Um, so it, it is it is a really weird thing to hang your entire narrative on. So uh, whoever is in charge of that, I believe it was uh, Nomura was in charge of original concept, but this game's got multiple co-directors and it could have just been too many cooks in the kitchen yeah. and can't see the forest for the trees. And it's too big of a machine to, you know, handle. Um, but it seems like it's absolutely a game to play for the gameplay um, and, uh, and stick around for the weird story. Yeah. But <laughs> speaking of weird stories, so uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about Radical Dreamers. Uh, fingers crossed. I believe I've got Chrono Katie on board. Oh, excellent. To I love discuss, her. Yeah, to discuss Radical Dreamers, um, which is a, it's so fun revisiting that game again recently, uh, playing a, a translation. But now that it's got an original translation or an official translation, rather, uh, can't wait to experience that. But folks, we covered a lot of audience comments and questions. If you want to ask a question or share a comment to get a mention on the show, keep an eye out on my Twitter at the Wolverine Mage, where I announce the topics for each Magecast episode in advance and invite you to share your thoughts that can help shape and mold these intense conversations that we have on this show. We do have a few final questions here. Uh, light question here from Carrie 86 Which Final Fantasy characters are missing in the game? Are there Moogles, Chocobos? Uh, do you miss something in the game that's common for a Final Fantasy game? Maybe you can speak to that. 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, I I think not having like Matoya in there is a big miss, um, and like getting to visit the other towns and have that part of the story. I think in this particular type of game, I wouldn't want to see a Chocobo or a Moogle because like it, it's just too brutal of a game. Like it, like it, it, <laughs> yeah, you're not like smashing Chocobo. Yeah, if you make awful. me fight a Chocobo in this game, I'm gonna I'm gonna cry. Like I don't want to I don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So no chocobos are there? Moogles? I have not seen a Moogle, which which tracks right because there's no chocobos or Moogles in the original game. So that's true. That's yeah. true. And, and that, uh, that's another like real quick. That's that is another like yeah. minor complaint is that like they do have a lot of iconic Final Fantasy enemies, but the number of enemies is pretty low, so they get pretty repetitive fairly quickly. Hmm. Um, you could get a Mako reactor in here, but God forbid you see a behemoth. Exactly. Something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Final question. This is a biggie uh, from teacher bloke 85. What in your opinion would square Enix have to do to give the final fantasy brand another golden age? Now that's obviously going to be answered very differently depending on who's answering it. Yes. Uh, and so I, I asked him, I was like, you know, what is, what is your perspective? teacher bloke on on you know what you think would be necessary to bring back a golden age uh and he said pretend the last 20 years never happened make a proper epic single player offline final fantasy 11 uh and seriously for my be for my view they just need to bring back turn-based combat so many others are doing it now that final fantasy won't it's about time the jrpg king returned uh, that is very much a retro Final Fantasy player perspective. I know a lot of people who are like, oh, I hate turn-based combat. So I don't know how well that would fly over, but that's his answer. What do you think, though? Um, I actually did an article about this for Pixelbit for the 25th anniversary of Final Fantasy. Um, I, I think um, I think a return to turn-based is a good idea. Um I think that there, that you're, there's a world where you can do turn-based and real-time, not the way that Seven Remake did it. I think that that you can do it more like the way like Bioware games do it, where you can have real-time combat, but then pause and and give commands to your party. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, I think actually they're on the right track, and I, I know I've said his name a lot, but it's because I really respect the guy. I think putting Naoki Yoshida as like the Final Fantasy guy is how you get that new golden age. That man mm -hmm. loves Final Fantasy the way fans love Final Fantasy. And, you know, the the fact that he's has a producer role on Final Fantasy 16 gives me a lot of hope. And also the fact that they seem to be going back to more, a more medieval type setting. I think you need to kind of do that to reset the series every so often. I think nine was like that reset. Um, and then they w got to do weird stuff after that. And I think it's time for another type of reset like that. Um, mm. and I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to see what that game is. Um, I want more of it. I've been, I've been waiting with bated breath for a deep dive in, into the combat and, um, stuff like that. But I really think that him being on the board, but also just loving everything that is final fantasy is a really good indicator of what could come. And maybe you could give me some hope too, personally there. Um, so I've had an interesting time with Final Fantasy 14. I've tried to get into it twice. Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate Final Fantasy 14 fans who have admitted that A Realm Reborn is, is difficult. 
Uh, I found it extremely wordy, extremely slow, and just kind of a slog to get through. Mm -hmm. And everybody was telling me it gets better. The story gets better. Uh, And I believe them. But for me, it's kind of hard to stomach like 20 hours of I could finish entire RPGs in the time it would take to to kind of slog through ARR. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and that that admission, again, I appreciate that. What I don't appreciate from the Final Fantasy 14 fans are those who say this is you know the greatest RPG ever made. And if you don't appreciate every aspect of it, GTFO. Right. But. And again, that's the, comes back to the fanboy thing. Nobody appreciates that except for other fanboys, <laughs> but, but I, I can look at final fantasy 14 and say, okay, it's learned from it's the position that it launched in the, the, the state that it launched in to now where they've built upon it, they've developed it. They've, they've truncated and trimmed down a lot of the fat in, in ARR. And I think that's great. Uh, I just am kind of really on the fence there without having really come to appreciate Final Fantasy 14. And I really am. I do. I plan to give it a third attempt. I'm not going to stream it because again, that thing's wordy. I almost, my tongue almost fell off. Yeah. Trying yeah. to read just like <laughs> basic, like a chore quest where like a, a character wants me to go pick 10 mushrooms and they have like several paragraphs of text to tell me to do that. I just can't like, I don't think it's a game to stream unless you're like at the end of the game doing, you know, all these fun multiplayer raids and things like that. Uh, and more power to people that are, that are doing that. I just had a real hard time with it. So what I want to see from 16 is how much, you know, have they learned from 14 to launch in, in a, in a great state? Cause 15 didn't launch in a great state either. Uh, it seems like launching in a great state is, is difficult mm-hmm. for some of these numerical entries. Um, but I really want to get like, am I going to like, what is the substance here? Cause I personally don't think that like cumbersome Shakespearean text in droves is substance, but I like you, I really want to see more on final fantasy 16. I really want to trust, uh, what this guy is going to be doing with it. Uh, I'm just, I'm really on the fence. Yeah, and I think that that's you're you're right to be on the fence. Um, it's funny that you bring bring that up because I was thinking about this really hard the other week because I was like thinking to myself because you know Final Fantasy fans love to rank the the core series. Oh yeah. Um, and and you know, I, and I'm a Final Fantasy fan who loves eleven and loves fourteen, and I and it, it always rubs me the wrong way whenever the series is brought up as a whole. And eleven in particular is like not really mentioned because it's it's not really a Final Fantasy game, and it's like no, but it is. It's, it's Final <laughs> Fantasy eleven, and it's really really good, guys. Um, but I was thinking like fourteen is might be my favorite Final Fantasy now. But then I was like, but is that fair? Because fourteen is really five Final Fantasy games in a trench coat, right? And so like that's the thing. Yeah. So do yeah. You, so do you do you count? Do you break them out and say like, well, Shadowbringers is like one of is like the number is like the best Final Fantasy, but then like Stormblood is like here in the middle, and Heaven's Word is above. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. What I will say is that yes, as the series goes on, it gets better. Um, mm-hmm. Like the Shakespearean speech is still there, but it's lesser and lesser as you go on. They get more, more meaningful, perhaps more yeah. meaningful. Um, mm-hmm. Like later on, like the side quests, uh, you, I actually started paying more attention to the text on there because it started to do that 
Witcher thing where the side quests actually start to flesh out the world and feed back into the main story. And if so, if like you've done like all the stuff in this town before advancing the story, you kind of have a broader uh, appreciation for what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like, like I, so I've, I've been replaying through a realm reborn. Cause I, I got a friend into the game. I've been going through the story with her and I still find it really like enjoyable, but I think it's because now I have more context. It's like, Oh, it's cool. They were setting this up way back when. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, cause yeah. there was definitely a plan. Uh, yeah. and, and also like, you know, like dungeon design has gotten better. Like, you know, yeah. one of the yeah, infamous, nice. one of the infamous issues with a realm reborn is that the final story mission is an hour long dungeon that has unskippable cutscenes. Um, uh, they don't wow. do that anymore. Uh, that's yeah, because it's just, you know, you, it's really hard to incentivize people to go back and replay it once they've done it. And they, they, they come up with good ways to do it, but they, I think, with the patches coming out next week, it's now going to be like, oh no, you can play it for players now. And um, it's going to be, and you can play it with like NPCs. So, uh, yeah. that, and so that and also because, so when I played it, you could skip the cutscenes. And my friend who was playing was like, just, just skip the cutscenes. We'll watch them later. Just move, 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 move. And it's, <laughs> it's not a very satisfying final dungeon. And there's a whole lot of like really cool story that happens there. But, you know, it's like, well, skipping the cutscenes isn't satisfying, but having to sit through them every single time I do it isn't satisfying either. And thankfully, that's right. not a problem anymore. Um, so all I can say is that, like, it, you know, it is worth it. I do think there's a lot of really great stuff in A Realm Reborn. I'm not sure, like, where you're at story-wise, but, like, after you beat Titan, I feel that it really starts to pick up the pace then. Um, I feel like I didn't even get that far. Yeah, yeah. And I was going for for quite a while. And you were you were I, having so, issues because that was also I think if I remember on Twitter, you that was also at the height of the Endwalker like login yes, issues, right? Yeah, so that's, which was also frustrating. Yeah, yeah for sure. And that's back yeah. to normal now, right? Uh, it was frustrating to think about paying for a game each month that I couldn't even play. Yeah. Um. So there was a lot that, and then interaction with more of the the bad elements in the fandom that left a lot of, of bad taste in my mouth. Um, which again, I appreciate talking with you. You're somebody that, who can acknowledge, okay, this has real flaws. Oh yeah. Uh, like I told the guy, I was like, I've, I've played like almost all the final fantasies, the core, and there's nothing as bad as ARR in like any of them, as far as like bad and as long, like, cause I just got mired down in it. Even if I didn't go off and start to, you know, go through side quests and all that sort of thing. So again, looking for the, the whole point to draw out is looking forward to 16. I really sincerely hope that it's a matter of learning from what's been done in the past, what worked with final fantasy 14, what worked with final fantasy and launching in a state uh, that's finished. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I can say is that like 14 has some of my favorite final fantasy characters of all time. And then they introduced what was, what I felt was like my favorite villain. And I was like, they can't top this. And then the next expansion, they topped that. <laughs> and I was like, all right. Okay. This is uh this is something else, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you too. How, how, how long have you been playing 14 for? Well, so I've been playing it like, I mean, I, I bought like 1.0 and I played it for a little bit and I acknowledged that it was bad. So I didn't mm-hmm. play it, you know, I played it for like a 10 hours or something. Uh, and I got, yeah, like my thing is that I've bought every mainline Final Fantasy on release day since seven. So it's like, mm-hmm. I've been there day one for everything. 
but I didn't really get hardcore into 14 as far as like really wanting to advance the story until the pandemic started. I was still on Heaven's Ward when the pandemic started. And then I started to like schedule like play dates with my friend as a way of just like socializing. Um, and then we finished Heaven's Ward and then started Stormblood and I got really invested. And then the, then the waterworks started to come and I was like, this story is really good. And uh, now I'm just, I'm really, I'm really into it. Um, I don't, but the thing is, is that I love to play games, right? So it's like, I can't devote my, my time to one game. So I try to just yeah, play it like difficult. once or twice a week. And that's yeah. about it. Definitely. I mean, personal, I, the only reason I ask is personal investment is, is a difficult thing to, for, I think some folks to recognize in themselves. Mm -hmm. So like I can acknowledge that I'm personally invested in a lot of JRPGs. So when I talk about them, there's a level of interest there that other people may not share, but sometimes I've spoken with Final Fantasy 14 fans or just, I mean, to get to not to talk just solely about 14, but Final Fantasy as a whole, there are some people who are so invested in it because say some people have been playing only Final Fantasy 14 for years. Right. So when a scene happens, they're just like emotionally crushed. Whereas for me, I just started playing this. So I don't have that level of personal connection that builds up over the course of years with these characters. I'm just not reasonably realistically going to have the same reaction. Yeah. And, um, and and I think, I think it's better to look at it again, like multiple final fantasies under the same umbrella, because it, it's not so much years as it is. Cause you know, I've only really been playing it for a couple of years, but you know, it's like every, every expansion is basically like a 50 hour final fantasy game. So as far yeah. as, so you're going to spend about 50 hours with like this set of characters as, and also some characters from before. Um, so in that sense, it's, it's just, it, it but that's also a big ask, right? It's like asking someone, like, yeah, just go play all of Trails of Cold Steel. Just do it. Right. <laughs> just play them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is It is a big ask. And and again, to kind of, to, just to close out that idea, I feel like it ties together everything that we've talked about is maybe just more understanding of what people's perspective is on what it is that they're playing uh, and why they're playing it. And again, it comes back to that that level of, of, of critique and mutual empathy yeah. that I think is necessary. Again, if you slap me on Twitter, I'm going to slap you back. <laughs> but but if you want to talk about intrinsic qualities and personal taste, I'll be there with you day one. Uh, Julian, man, thanks for coming through this this fairly epic conversation. Uh, I'm glad I got to got to hear your live reaction to some of these things. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was a it was a fun conversation. So thank you very much. Where can our listeners find you? Yeah, I had an absolute blast. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Julian underscore Titus. You can find Nerds Without Pants at NWPcast. Um, to get a little more into what we are, we're a listener interactive podcast. Um, we have segments that we you know get comments from the listeners to to a, a lot like your show actually. And we also try to be more of a timeless podcast. We're not talking about the news every week and stuff like that. Um, but we have three segments. One of them is on hold right now. But we have a stage select, which is like a random video game topic that we get feedback from the listeners on. Then we do Consumption Junction, which is where me and my co-host Justin just talk about whatever media we've consumed, which we really just play video games these days so it's mostly that um and then we close out with video game cage match which is where our listeners book matches uh, against video games and we judge them on the most arbitrary criteria that you can think of and i we're i really hope people want to chime in because we are 
rounding, we're about to wrap up our first ever video game cage match championship tournament to crown the first Nerds Without Pants champion for cage match. And it's getting, it's getting very dramatic. Um, we, the first, the number one contender is Quest 64, who is waiting in the wings with bated breath to see who wins this tournament. Um, and he, like, Quest 64 has made an alliance with Area 51. Um, <laughs> right now, like, it, 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 it's anybody's game, but you might be interested in this. Chrono Cross is in the finals, so it's very possible that Chrono Cross could end up being our first champion. Or it could be Chex Quest. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, I mean, you know which one I'm throwing in for. <laughs> and it ain't Chex Quest. <laughs> Folks, definitely go and check out Julian's show. Uh, there'll be a link in the description. It's also going to link to the anniversary article that he mentioned as well. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, look, there's no reason for the conversation to end just because the episode ends. Please continue to, to champion the discussion on whatever platform you want to talk to us about. If you listen to this, well, yeah, this is one of my favorite things. When people are like, hey, I listened to that episode and I was arguing out loud with you, even though none of you could hear me. If that was you, let us know what, what, you're, what you were saying in regards to what we were saying. Uh, and in the spirit of Ted Sephiroth, um, just, uh, just, yeah, stab more people in the back. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening, my friends. I hope you enjoyed the conversation, and if you did, here are a few next steps. Maybe browse our library and check out another episode. You might spot one of your favorite games. You could leave a review or rating on your app of choice as well, and actually that would really help out the show. You could even visit Patreon if you really want to go steady. Finally, how about joining our Discord community? There's links for you in the description. Let's chat it up. Let's keep the conversation going. This episode may be over, but the legend will live on. Passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and chaos. Yes, it was mine.